why would anyone think that happiness will truly be found through, through money? It's not going to be. You got to think about what is going on in these people's lives. Like Michael Jackson, he couldn't trust anybody. The two biggest disappointments in life, not getting what you want and getting what you want. Any human being, especially when they're under the age of 40, they have that desire to procreate. It's biological. They, they yes. have that biological desire. You can't stop it. It's going to be there. That was Neil Hellinen for you. And this is Listen, Learn, Leverage, the podcast focusing on and sharing the human side of some of the best coaches and practitioners in the industry. And I am Ankur Bhattacharji, or Fractal Biomechanics as you know me, and I welcome you all to this podcast. Hey, Neil, welcome to Listen, Learn, Leverage. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm perfect. Doing great. Excellent. So, Neil, so before we start the podcast, I want you to introduce yourself to the listeners who do not know you yet. Okay. So, my name is Neil Hallinan. I am from a small town in northern New Jersey, not southern New Jersey, uh, and not New York City, and not New York State. It's a different place. Uh, very different. And we're going to get to these cultural differences uh, later. Um And I got into the training world um, probably in 2007. Uh, I became a personal trainer after doing IT work for about five years that just destroyed my body. And I hate it anyway. Uh, and then so I got into personal training. Then I also became a, uh, I started dancing and I eventually became a salsa teacher. And so I taught salsa for about now 15 years. I'm not doing it anymore because COVID kind of destroyed that dance business for the time being, but I'm busy enough with my own business. So it's not a problem. And then I found postural restoration, which is what I kind of specialize in at this point. And that was about eight years ago. I think I found postural restoration. And that was obviously one of the bigger influences on my life. And uh, it's been a fascinating experience to say the least. Neil Helen and PRI are kind of synonymous on the internet. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. So everyone, uh, I mean, outside of US, especially India, anyone who gets to know PRI is through you watching YouTube videos. And then they and that, go to their website and then they check like, what is this? Yeah. And that's really why I started it because it needed to be spread. And obviously I believe in it, uh, but they weren't, they weren't spreading it themselves in a very mm. easy to understand way. Cause it's not easy to understand. And there's only, there's not many of them out in Nebraska. There's only, it's a small, it's a small place. There's only five people that work there besides a the therapist. So, you know, I realized that they weren't, mm. they weren't really making things on easy to understand for the general public because that's not who they were teaching to. They were teaching to physical therapists and strength and conditioning people. So I was, I, I tried to see if I could spread the word uh, and make it easier to understand for people. And just so it would spark interest. Because otherwise they're going to look at the website. If they found the website, they'd look and be like, what, what are they talking about? So I was trying to make that a little bit easier so that then people would say, oh, this sounds like interesting and then do further research. Yes. So that was, that was my, that was the goal. And so hopefully it's, it's it seems to be working. So that's good. You're doing a fantabulous job. 
you're spreading the awareness you're like many people are getting to know what it actually is what this institute is all about because of you yeah. so neil so please share with us about how your childhood teenage and adult life was like so uh, for example uh the incidents in your childhood teenage that shaped you into who you are today like those vivid incidents if you remember so one of the things that surely influenced my life was was a, a negative experience uh or or that i would that back then i thought was negative painful and you know it's part of life but sometimes when you're young and you don't have anyone to to talk about these things with because in my family we didn't really talk about a lot mm-hmm. uh, so you're kind of left by yourself to deal with growing up and how to deal with pain that you're not prepared for and so in when i was i don't even know how old i would have been 5th or 6th grade i'm not really sure how old that is but that's kind of like so maybe 9 10 11 12 that area was when i first started to when i first really felt that pain of uh, social rejection and or perceived social rejection and at that age you know you're growing up you're almost hitting puberty um and then at that age we were uh, start we were going to go into not the we were leaving elementary school this small area of the town which i grew up in and now you're going to go to a bigger school with all the kids from all the different areas of the town and during that time period I started to feel the rejection or the perceived rejection of because of the changing social hierarchy in school and like we were talking about uh, social demotion or when you when you feel like you've been um made lower on the social status uh ladder that that's very stressful so when you're it's like for anyone who's an actor or a musician and at one point they're on the top of the world and then all of a sudden they're no longer popular and nothing changed with them they're doing the same thing they were doing but the crowd changed now the crowd is chasing something different they're interested in a different type of music this happens with you know especially in music uh like i mean think of all in the united states i'm not sure how how well under how well known some of the groups will be that i mentioned but when you talk about in the late 80s there was this this rock and roll hard rock we call it hair metal uh these bands that were really popular the crowd moved on to grunge music which was like pearl jam soundgarden nirvana those types of groups and then those groups then then the boy bands came around and and like backstreet boys and in sync and all this other stuff and so you know these these amazingly talented people uh are now no longer popular they were playing to sold out stadiums with 60,000 people 70,000 people and now all of a sudden they have to cancel their tour they can only fill up 5,000 and they didn't change so they but but they're mute but the the taste of the crowd changed so they were very popular and now they're no longer popular and it's very difficult and how many of them have actually ended up killing themselves a lot there's a lot of musicians from that era that are now dead who are amazingly talented so as we know when you lose friends or when you're no longer popular or you perceive that you're no longer popular because your reality what you think is reality and what other people think are reality can be completely two different things 
But when you experience that and your stress hormones go up and your stress levels go up and your happiness decreases, that's painful and you don't want to do that again and you want to avoid that. So it was that once I felt that sting of social rejection and my self-confidence started to go lower, I was too afraid to experience that rejection again because it was just so painful. So you kind of get stuck in this position of you want to be acknowledged, but you're too afraid to take the chance of rejection. So you're, you're picking, so you stay miserable either way because you want to get out there. You want to be confident in your interactions with other kids. Of course, this goes into the amount of people who won't start a YouTube channel or Instagram because they're fearful of being criticized is astounding, but it's not astounding because I, I couldn't have done this 15 years ago. I, I would have been out for the same reason. I would have feared that sting of rejection. Uh, but when you get into that point, especially when you're young and you don't know how to process it, you, you're not 35 and discovering Buddhist psychology and being like, oh, it's not so bad. It wasn't about me. You think it is about you completely. Only you. There can't be any other explanation. And it's just that you suck <laughs> and you just think that you suck forever. And everything that goes on in life, it's because you suck. And if something good happens, you just think, you know, two weeks from now, something's going to go really bad because I suck. <laughs> so this is just, this can't be true. Like this person doesn't actually like me. They're just, they're, they're using, they're just, they're going to dump me. They're going to use me. And then they're going to get rid of me again. And of course. So you bring that about because you disengage from social interaction. So you're just fearful of that rejection and that pain. So you keep yourself in this little uh, prison because you've come up with a story based off of one rejection or perceived rejection and that becomes your life. And that's, you know, that's the great lesson of Buddhism. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not reality unless you attach yourself to it. And that's what you, when you're young, you don't know what else, because what else could it possibly be? And so that's really what happened to me at a young age. And so you're, you go through this constant tension and anxiety of wanting to be outgoing and wanting to meet other people and wanting to talk to girls as, as a teenage boy, what else is there? Of course depending on what your orientation is uh, and it's all fine. Uh, let's just say the fear of sexual rejection is, yes. is probably even worse than, a, than, you know, being kicked, than having guys ignore you. Yeah. 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 Because, because that sexual rejection is even worse. And that's what I was, you know, that was one of those things I was terrified of. So I never would, because it, you lose your validation as a, as a man, as a, like, so much of your life is around meeting sexual mates just because that's how the human brain is, is programmed, especially at that age. So that avoidance, that desire to avoid rejection and pain kept me just completely bottled up. And uh, so that was a huge theme of my life. And, you know, that's a lot of negative energy that can't be expressed and it can't be turned into anything positive and it just stays inside you. So I don't think my chronic pain issues were simply because of my body. The, the, the tension inside my body was created through tension inside my mind exactly. because of, because of psychological uh, processes. Now there definitely was part of it was may have had a physical origin because my, my visual system, but I think I could have handled the visual system at such a young age because your eyes are so new that it probably wouldn't have affected me that much. But 
regardless, I think the chronic pain was more a symptom. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, the chronic pain was more of a symptom of what was going on in my own mind rather than psychological processes rather than a purely physical issue. So that was a, and I want people to understand that about postural restoration also. From the earliest, I remember, you know, the founder saying, you know, this is a psychological institute. I didn't understand it at the time, but I wrote it down. <laughs> and he, and the other thing he kept saying was, you, you orthopedic minded people who think about muscles and bones all the time, hmm. you have to be more neuro minded, more neurologically minded. Again, I didn't understand it at the time, but I wrote it down. And now I realize those are the, those factors are much bigger than the muscles and the bones. So that was one. And then, uh, you know, finding Buddhist literature, that was a huge thing because it allowed me to put my life experiences into a, in a perspective that made sense to me. Um, and that's the thing. There's a lot of different ways to, to learn about human experience, but it has to make sense to you. You know, if, so like we were talking about with religions, yes. you, know, you know, Christianity might make perfect sense to you, but uh, Buddhism might not. It's just because you were born in a certain place at a certain yeah. time. You know, be, like, like I said, being born in New Jersey and North Jersey is not the same as being born in Texas or Tennessee or Oklahoma. You're coming from two different worlds. Yes. So what makes sense to me, my, in, in, with one presentation of how life operates, makes sense to me. Whereas another explanation, which may be saying very similar things, I wouldn't take to it too much. Hmm. But Buddhism... I took to because that's how I was already thought about things. Um, so it made sense to me. So finding Buddhist psychology really helped me let go of those and, and recognize what had occurred in my earlier life. And that the problem really wasn't with me. It was my interpretation of events. And I never had anyone to really talk about with that. That's that, that just wasn't available and it's what I needed, but it wasn't available. So, you know, it kept me in a prison of wow. my own mental thoughts and that, prison if it's negative it will break down your body over time because you're just gonna be tight tension 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 that never gets resolved and if you cannot resolve tension your body will break down sure so oh and and so and dancing that that was huge when i started to dance and i realized I, I was learning it quickly and i was good at it and once i realized i was good at it and i was learning it quickly which i didn't think was going to happen uh i just did it more and more and more <laughs> and uh and i said the teacher said, and this is something I had never considered, uh, when the teacher asked me to help teach, I was like, well, I'm not really, I don't really know that much yet. And she's like, that doesn't matter. We'll teach you. We'll, we'll train you to know what you have to know, which is true. And, and she said, you only have to be one step ahead of the, of the student. Exactly. So the student doesn't know anything. So as long as you're one step ahead of that person, they think you're, a, they think you're amazing. So, so I learned that that was an amazing lesson because that was, that was just it, and that's kind of true. I mean, there were times where I would, she like, if you run into trouble, you can't think of what to teach, grab me because we had private rooms. And so I would be like, oh, I have to go to the bed. I'll be right back. <laughs> and so I would find the teacher. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to teach right now. And she would just show me a step really simply. And because I could pick it up quickly, she's like, go ahead. And that's what I would teach until I became, you know, eventually after years and years, your, your repertoire of moves is so vast that you can teach forever. But uh, so you just have to be one step ahead of the student. That was one thing. And then she, she said, when I was questioning, like, why would you want me to teach? You know, it wasn't the dancing skill that I, she knew I had because she knew I did have that. And you just, 
you just know after doing it for many years, very quickly, you know, whether someone's going to be a really good dancer or not. But she told me people like you. And it had never occurred to me that people liked me. I didn't think that I didn't necessarily think people that I didn't think that people didn't like me. I used to always be like, why don't girls like me? But I never really <laughs> thought like, uh, but that's a completely normal guy thing. Uh, especially if you've been rejected, you think everything, every girl hates you or despises you. Um, but I never really thought guys didn't like me, but it never had occurred to me that people actually did like me. Hmm. And it's weird when I think back upon it, but I never, it just never occurred to me. And then she, so she said that like, oh, because people like you, don't you realize that? I was like, no, I guess I didn't realize it. And so that's the most important thing in a teacher is being likable because there's a lot of great dancers out there and around, but it doesn't mean that people, and there's some great teachers that no one likes, so they're not successful. So you have to have all three, but the dancing skill is actually the, the least important, ironically enough. It's the personality and being likable, knowledgeable and likable go are really, are really important. You don't have to be the best at something because a lot of the best dancers make horrendous teachers. And a lot of the most in-demand coaching in the dance world is not by the best dancers. It's by very detail-oriented coaches. And sometimes they're not likable because they can be pricks, you know, <laughs> like, but so they, have a, they have a specific knowledge that others want. So if you can be likable and have a lot of knowledge and be amazing at something, knowledge-wise, uh, you can be very successful in life. And that's so, what I realized. So don't you think this is in our field as well? Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, even in, in physical, and I remember when in personal training, I would look at, and this is, this was, this is one of, my, one of my great annoyances. I can't say I was a successful personal trainer in any way in terms of having a ton of clients uh, or finances. I was getting by. So I had two jobs. Actually, sometimes I had three jobs. But what I realized was, and this is a common gripe or, yeah, gripe, is that sometimes, you know, trainers that have almost no knowledge whatsoever have huge client bases. They, they have tons of clients. They're like, but this person is destroying their clients. Don't they like, but it doesn't matter. It's the person, it's the image that they have. Yes. The moment you say you're a trainer to a star, isn't it like the amount of times that someone's, oh, I train like in their bios. Yeah. I train athletes and, and all these. It's like, oh, he must be good. <laughs> And then you see what they're doing with these athletes. And from a, from my perspective now, you're like, oh my yeah. God. And, and the reality is athletes need very little training. <laughs> they're, at, they're, they're where they are for a reason. Yes. Like, yes. Your, your job is to not mess them up. Well, for the most part, they're already going to be athletic. Your training is really not going to make them more athletic. Just don't, don't mess them up. Yeah. But yeah, it is. And so a lot of people who know literally nothing, that's why I was about to leave the training world until I found PRI. And I think for me, you know, for me, I became successful, if you want to call it that, with postural restoration. I think it just really, all my interests in life, I found something to put all my useless knowledge, because I used to be good at like trivia games and useless knowledge, because <laughs> I'm just so interested in life and the world and experience and all these things that we've spoken about before. And it all comes together in psychology and the human body, which are inseparable and movement, which I was good at. 
And so I just found the perfect vehicle for my, for the knowledge that I've acquired over the past, you know, 40 something years at this point, uh, depending on when your first memories are. So, you know, 38, 37, 38 years of decent memory and experience has all come together to produce, you know, my YouTube channel. Uh, I just, you know, you're, I'm not gonna say I was lucky because at one point I said it was lucky and someone else said, no, it's, um, that's not luck. That's just preparation. And I think that's, that's true. Cause I did put a ton of work in, uh, I never celebrate my successes because I don't really see them as success. I'm just doing things that I'm naturally interested in, but, uh, you know, I did put a lot of work in and you have to be prepared to put a lot of, if you want to be really good at something, you have to work your butt off. Yep. Uh, I don't celebrate, but for me, it was not so hard because I would have been doing these things anyway. If you don't like what you're doing, then it's hard work. Yes. And, yes. And yeah, yeah. If you, but if you really enjoy what you're doing, you don't even think of it as work because you would be doing it anyway. So I'm not sure what the original question was, <laughs> but <laughs> my my words of advice for people is, nothing will be given to you. Hmm. You, it, you you have even if you will never be the best at something, you have to act like you want to be the best. Exactly. And eventually it'll pay off. Yeah, maybe you won't be the biggest trainer in the world. Maybe, you, but that's regard. But if you can make a living off what you enjoy doing, like we've talked about, yes. you've made it. That's so few people in this world. Most people in the world do not have the opportunity to even go to school. Yes. To go to higher education, to do what they want to do. They just have to survive day to day. So if you can make a living doing what you like to do, don't expect that there's going to be much more out there that's going to make you happier, but it's going to take a lot of work. You have to separate yourself from other people somehow. And as you know, in training, these, this guy, and I remember a couple of them, these guys were clueless about training, but they had tons of clients Yep. because their personality, people perceived because the way they looked, uh, people perceived them as knowing what a lot. So they would train with them or they just liked them. You never know why people are going to choose someone as a trainer. So, uh, but you just have to, but so you got to be good at something. You got to, you, and you got to keep working at it, keep working at it, keep working at it, keep working at it and advertise yourself. You can't be afraid to put yourself out there. Yes. Suffer the rejections, which are not necessarily rejections. And, uh, you know, just keep moving forward and eventually things will start to work. True, true, very true. If you remember or if you could describe how Neil Hellinan's mindset has changed from, 14 to 24 to 34 and now 44 like the journey mentality shift mentality shift okay so at 14 everything was local you know your whole life revolves around your small little town that you grow up in now i was a big reader so i knew a lot about other places because i was always if it was between doing my homework and reading the new york times or this newsweek magazine that i used to I was reading the New York Times and Newsweek magazine. I was way more interested in stuff that I wasn't being taught in school. I hated school. I was not a good student. I'm actually going to do a, a video and I'm going to show my ninth grade report card. <laughs> it's pretty terrible. <laughs> it's pretty bad. So I just want to show people that school is crap for the most part. Uh, that's what I believe. I mean, they're not taking an interest in you as an individual. Yeah. Now, there's, there are some schools in the United States that do that, but there are alternative schools. Like if you just go to a public school, like I did, and most people do, they're teaching you a curriculum 
everyone has to learn the same thing. Yeah. They're not taking into account. You're just a number. You're just another student out of 500 kids in the class or the school, whatever. They don't care. Their job is to get you through high school and yeah. graduate and mm-hmm. then they get paid. It's great. Um, but you know, school forces you to be, to learn certain things, which I was never interested in. Uh, so even, so my whole life was local in the sense that I knew the outside world existed, but I never had any experience of the outside world. I could only experience it through reading and you can't really, you can know stuff through reading, but going somewhere that you're reading about and reading about it are completely different experiences. Yes. Like you can learn a foreign language, but just because you learn this foreign language doesn't mean when you go to that country, they're going to be speaking anything remotely close to what you were learning in school because hmm. they're going to be speaking slang. Yeah. They're, going to be, they're going to be speaking in dialects that you're not exposed to. In the United States, you learn Spanish. A lot of people learn Spanish, but they're learning Spanish Spanish, which no one speaks. They're learning yeah. Spanish from Spain. But where I live, it's Puerto Ricans. It's Cubans. It's people from Latin America. They're not speaking like Spanish Spanish. <laughs> so it's all... Even their accents are different. The words they use for the same things are different. So people, my friends are like, oh, you don't know Spanish yet? I'm like, which one? Which one? Because they're all saying different, they're, they're speaking a common language. But I remember one of my friends who's Dominican, where she was in a different country. And she's like, oh my God, their Spanish is so different that I was like, I, feel, I felt like I didn't speak Spanish. And this person does speak Spanish. So, you know, there's just so many different things out there uh, so everything was local. My whole life revolved around what was happening inside my town, even though I knew there was an outside world. Uh, so, and of course, you have a very limited awareness of yourself and and what life is really like. And then twenty four uh, was twenty four twenty four. Okay, so twenty four would have been different because I had finally gotten out of the country, and I had been in uh, Brazil and. Brazil is a much different place, very different. And so you see things in Brazil that you're not going to see in the United States. And for that, and, you know, I didn't, I was, I say my family was very middle-class when I was growing up, very middle-class. And I I didn't have video games. I didn't have cable TV. We were, we became middle-class later on when I was a little bit older. Let's put it that way. So in the beginning, we were barely middle-class, but I still never saw the poverty where even though there's a pl- plenty of poor people, the poverty in a country like Brazil just looks different than the poverty than most of the poverty in the United States. Although there are some places in the United States you go and you're like, how is this the United States? But you just, the things I saw, the street kids, uh, the, the amount of homeless people, people begging, uh, just young kids working at five years of age, which is illegal in the United States. But these kids, are, and it might even be illegal in Brazil, but they do it anyway. Uh, kids on the beach selling cheese on a stick, uh, selling nuts, and they have to sell it before they're allowed to go home. They're not in school. I mean, kids, I mean, just on the other hand, you got also have fabulously wealthy people not too far away from the insane, from the completely destitute people. Uh, So you have all this wild mix of different things in Brazil and some of the most amazing music, great food, the ocean, because it was this one particular city. It was just so. It was just a, such a, 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 a. It was just a different experience, which finally got me to experience that there's life outside of New Jersey and the United States that 
was I found very, very interesting. Um, so, so I became a little bit more aware when I was 24 of the world that I had always been reading about, but had never gotten to experience. So if you visit Mumbai, there's a big city in India called Mumbai. Yeah. So if you visit exactly yeah. the same experience you had in yeah. Brazil, like the filthiest of the filthy rich in one side and the poorest of the poor on the other side. Yeah. So Mumbai has probably the highest number of millionaires and billionaires residing in India in Mumbai. And on the other yeah. hand, it also has Asia's biggest slum, yeah. which, is, which is named Dharavi. So it's there in the same city. You will be seeing the contrast like zero and one. Well, it's the same in, in the city of Rio de Janeiro. Hmm. I wasn't in Rio. I've been there, but that's not where my first experience was. But that's where you really see the same idea. Like you have these very rich people that I don't know if they live in like the pictures of Rio that you see the, the, of the beaches. I don't know that most of them live there anymore, but they've, they've moved out a little bit further from what I understand. to this Baja Tijuca area, which is a little bit further outside the city. But when you see these, these, these big um, residential apartment buildings and this nice beach area, But in the back, you see the mountains, which are just, just slums. And it's so close together. So you have this enormous wealth in a very small area. And then right behind it, where all the maids and the security guard and all the, all the, 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 the help, as they call it, you know, the, the domestic workers who then, you know, come down the mountain and work in the buildings as maids and cooks. So it's a very, it's exactly that same thing, that same idea. And at night you think, wow, it's so beautiful because you see all the lights up on the mountains. But if you went in there, you'd see what was really going on. And it's like, oh boy, if you ever visit inside, because most people will never go inside a slum hmm. uh, because it's too dangerous. Yeah. But uh, I've been in them because I was, when I was, when I was in the city that I was in, I was with other Brazilians and we went to some musical concerts And I got to actually look at how people were living. And I was like, oh my goodness gracious. This is like, I had never seen something like that. So Neil Hellinen at 34? Oh, 34. Um, well, that's when I started to find philosophy and psychology stuff that I had never really known about before. And of course I'm thinking, wait a minute, why were we never taught about these things? Uh, and so I discovered some uh, a Greek philosopher named Epicurus, who it's funny because his his name has gotten misunderstood. People, when they think about Epicurus, there's a word in English, it's called uh, Epicurean. And if it's Epicurean, people associate that with, um, with uh, what would be the word? Sensual pleasure. Uh, richness, things that are expensive and, and, and um, you know, indulging, doing mm -hmm. a lot of, so it, it, but this is the ironic thing. What Epicurus actually was saying was that pleasure, oh, it's okay. So Epicureanism is associated with pleasure, but not in the way we think. What he was saying is pleasure or happiness is what humans should strive for because there's really not much else. But he said the way to pleasure and happiness is not, is not through material wealth. It's not through fame. It's not through any of those things. 
those things just make you more stressed. So what he was saying was give that up. Because the more you own, the more you have to pay for. Now you have to make more money. The bigger the house you own, you have to now make more money and keep making that money to pay for the house. The cars, the more you buy, the more a slave you become to work. Mm -hmm. So he was actually saying, if you're famous, now you have to have bodyguards. And you, and as you know, with like Instagram and the media, no famous person can go anywhere without, with any anonymity, they're going to be followed by everyone. Uh, so is that really what you want? So he was saying was the path to happiness and a calm mind is to, is to give that stuff up. So that was the first, I was like, why have I never heard of this guy? And then, and then I found Buddhist psychology and I found the parallels between the two. And it could be very well that Epicurus was borrowing from India because Buddhism had really kind of come on the scene before the Greek uh, philosophers, but nonetheless, and, and there was certainly mixing of culture, whether we realize it or not. Um, but so I saw those similarities and then the, the Buddhist uh Buddhist psychology really grabbed me. And that's where I really learned about, I started to let go of everything that had, I had held on to from a, from a younger age. Like it wasn't about me and my, and rejection can occur for so many reasons that have nothing to do with you. Like if you're, you're trying to sell an item or you're trying to sell your services, uh, people may say no for so many reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with you, but you assume that it's because of something you did wrong or you weren't good enough. And that's not the case. And you just, but you don't know. So you don't want to make up stories for why it occurred. So you got to let go of the stories. You just have to let go. Uh, so I started to let go of things that had developed in childhood and, and teenage years. Uh, so that's what started to happen when I was 34. And then at 44, here I am. Uh, I'm a much, in a much happier place. I'm much more successful in the sense that I, I have no boss. Um, I am. I've gotten recognition is nice to, to know that the work you've put in is, is appreciated. Um, you know, there, and I can make a living, uh, you know, <laughs> certainly not rich. <laughs> I do live in New Jersey. It's the most expensive state in the United States. Uh, but I can make a living doing something that I really, really enjoy. And um, so I don't think I never would have thought those things were possible. Hmm. Even when I was 34, I really didn't think that was possible, but it is. Uh, and I already said what it is. You have to work hard. You have to do it, put in the time and make yourself known and eventually start things start to happen and just be a good person. If you're doing it out of ego, you're going to struggle because you're not going to be happy. Uh, if you're doing because you're in competition with others, again, you're never going to be happy because you're going to kind of constantly want more and more and more and more because there's always going to be someone who has more than you. So more followers, more listeners, more money. But you don't know whether you really want that person's life <laughs> because like we said, should I talk about that yet? Or should we hold on? The next question is regarding that. Oh, okay. okay. Go ahead. So, so I would just say, I'm, I think right now is the culmin in my, at least my professional life has is, is the, is the, all of these experiences that have come together to allow me to share what I share in a productive way for the rest of, for the rest of humanity. <laughs> that does not involve any negativity. And that's important. I will never hmm. be negative on my yes. YouTube yep. site or I will never criticize others. I will never say I know everything. Uh, I will never try to put down other people. Yep. I'm, just not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to answer negative uh, 
negative comments in any type of negative way. I'll either ignore them or try to answer respectively, uh, respectively. Um, but I, I refuse to engage in any type of negativity in my professional pursuits. Kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. Yeah. So, yeah. so we had this amazing discussion last week and I remember this line of yours where you had said that you can't cherry pick someone's best and reject the rest. You have to live with the entirety. So, yeah. So regarding the society standards of success and happiness, which is wealth and famous maximum people perceive it to be versus what is actual success and happiness, your experience and your views on this. Uh, so Leia, so yeah, so what I realized, because I, I grew up in a town, the part of town that I grew up in was pretty middle class, but a large part of the town was very upper class, like very upper class. And even at that age, though, I realized that just because these people had a lot of money didn't really seem like they were happier, you know? So I realized pretty early that, that wealth and money does not equal happiness necessarily. Uh, and so many of them were drinking heavily and on drugs. And it was like, all right, well, if they were, if they're being that crazy, something must be like, something isn't right. So I, I was never under the impression that wealth and money would lead to happiness. On the other hand, I did think that girlfriends would <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, because, because I felt, because the, the fact is like, it's biological. And when a woman that you're attracted to smiles at you, hmm. dopamine goes off and you equate that, that feeling with happiness when you don't know any better. Again, that's because I was young. Yes. So you think chasing women or chasing men, whatever it's going to be, is the key to happiness because it makes you do feel good temporarily. But that's the thing. It's a temporary thing. Just like in Buddhism, they always tell you it's temporary. It's transient. And it just, and if you, if you, if you chase it, you're on that wheel of suffering, samsara. I think that's how it's pronounced. Samsara, samsara, I'm not sure. But it's the wheel of suffering that you get on. And that's what famous people and wealth, people who are chasing wealth, they get on this. I just saw someone yesterday uh, who I, she was a trainer at the gym I used to work at. And her son uh, was really intelligent and went to Harvard. So when he was at Harvard, I kept telling this, the mom, the person I knew, I kept saying, don't let him go into finance. Don't let him go to Wall Street. Because so many people from Harvard and the top Ivy League schools, like Stanford and Yale, they have so many go into Wall Street because they want to get rich. I said, don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. So I haven't seen her in years. And I saw her yesterday. And she's like, he's working in, on Wall Street. And he hates, <laughs> he hates it. He says, Ma, I just want to be a personal trainer like you and be, enjoy my life. It's like, I hate this. I hate the people. And he does. Uh, but he's making a lot of money. So he's doing mm. it. But there's that thing. Like, he's chasing the money and he's miserable. You know, you're not going to be, if you don't like what you're doing and you're doing it for 20, for 15 hours a day, six to seven days, you know, five or six days a week, because that's the hours they work. How will you ever be happy? You know, you see, because you see people getting paid, getting paid, making the money and they're on Instagram and they're showing they're at these parties mm. and they're all messed up in the head. None of them are happy. 
And, and once you actually are exposed to these people, you'd be like, God, these people are terrible. Like, why would you want to be, this person's insane. Why would you want to be with this person? So like, you think you want to be with those, those billionaires in, in Mumbai or, or which <laughs> city was Mumbai. Yeah. Yeah. Because it looks so cool. And I watched some things on the internet and YouTube. I'm like, wow, look at that. They got a lot of like the Indian dating service, this, uh, it's a show. It's a show on Netflix. It's fascinating. <laughs> and I have, an, I have an Indian friend here in the United States. She's, I've known her 14 years and her dad keeps saying, Don't you put together your, your resume for this Indian dating service. Matrimonial. So, Matrimonial. Yeah. 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 This so, happens here. So, yeah. So I like, I watch it with interest, but yeah, it looks like these people are having so much fun, but then, you know, they're so unhappy at the same time. So how can you be, it can't be both. So, cause you don't, and again, you don't know what's going on in the life of these people. And I remember there was one person on this Netflix show and it's the, it's the, the matrimonial hmm. dating. Thing. Uh, like he, he's very rich and he can't find his, his brother's like, all right, you're 24. You should be married by now. His mom is going crazy. <laughs> like, and his mom is telling the, 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 um, I don't know what you would call the person, the per the matchmaker, huh. uh, the person the fine the person who's trying to help them through the process it's like she she asks you know the, the person asked the the kid or the guy the 24 year old like what are you looking for and the mother's doing the speaking the mother's like we want this 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 so do you really want to be that guy yeah it might be nice to have that money in certain circumstances but is he really living his life or is he living the life according to what his parents and the expectations are of his family and his society Is he really living his life? I don't think so. Hmm. How will he ever be? He's being forced into marriage at 24 and he clearly doesn't want to be married. So if you can't live your life, but you're make, like, so you're doing everything you don't want to do, but oh, but you got a lot of money hmm. and you're making a lot of money or your family's got a lot of money, but then the expectations are, but this is how you have to be for this money to hmm. have your name on it eventually. You're going to be miserable. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it, it doesn't work. You're, you're not living, you're going to get that tension and that anxiety of all oh, the money. I ha I have all these expectations on me because of the culture I grew up in the family I grew up in. And this is what you do if you're from where I'm from, hmm. but your body is saying, you don't want this at all. You want to do something different and you're going to, you're just going to completely have a nervous breakdown eventually <laughs> because you're not living the authentic life that you want to be living. And it's, it's difficult. I never really had that pressure from my own family because it was just like, you figured out on your own. So that was a good thing. Hmm. Uh, but it was only in my own mind where I was thinking, oh, well, I'm from this town and I went to this college. So I should be doing something more business or more white collar, as we say, like hmm. professional. And, but everything I was doing in my life that was more white collar and traditional, which is you know the American dream, was making me miserable. But every time I did something that was completely opposite of that, I felt myself happier. Mm. And so that's when I started to get these ideas like, wait a minute, I gotta, you know, something's different. Something's not adding up here. And I started to go towards things that actually made me feel good because it's going to come down to how you feel. If you're feeling miserable, there's a reason, mm. you know, you're doing the wrong thing and you have to figure, you have to be aware of what's going on. Uh, but it, so I know the original question was how I think about happiness, but that is how I think about happiness. 
so many athletes musicians or actors you say like who have got uh, the mixture of fame and wealth i think happens mostly in the art industry like mu- musicians and actors sometimes you find news like they're hanging in their apartment one day they decide like they're hanging like with millions in their bank account they're hanging themselves yeah i mean i don't know how what else you need to know that's pretty much it i mean we all re- we can read these things so why would anyone think that happiness will truly be found through through money it's not going to be i mean that's and that's what every philosophical tradition and every religion tells you that's the point that's the that's the interesting thing every single every single one says that money and wealth is not the key to happiness and yet we still think it is and it's it's just a shame i mean and and, and think about you got to think about what is going on in these people's lives like michael jackson he couldn't trust anybody huh maybe that's maybe that's why he liked the friendship of i mean as terrible as it sounds maybe that's why he wanted to be around younger people and children unfortunately because maybe because they weren't judging him they they didn't really know what michael jackson meant huh you know if you're if if you're meeting adults they know what michael jackson means mm-hmm. he's the most famous man on the planet maybe and you're going to want and he knew that people always wanted his parents stole his money i think like he couldn't trust anybody so how do you want to go through life not if you're a beautiful supermodel what do people want from you do they like you or do they like your body and how you look think about these things the most insecure person i ever met in my life was by far the most beautiful woman i ever met in my life by far and once i realized what her life really was like well, i wouldn't want that life why are so many of them on drugs because they have to stay skinny hmm. and they, the pressure of being treated like a piece of meat take off your clothes take you know look they have to look a certain way they the things they, they it's so degrading what they have to do to be in that industry and then knowing that once they're over the age of 24 their modeling life will you know i don't know what the age would be but they're going to be replaced very quickly like you're just a piece of meat in that society and and you wonder why so many of them are on drugs and 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 unhappy and psychotic and i don't know if psychotic but suicidal often hmm. uh because of how because there it's it's all superficial and you're being judged constantly and god forbid you have and they get airbrushed and god forbid you have a little bit of of fat on your leg you have mm. to lose that mm. or now you're on you know you have you know people on social media criticizing every how you wear your hair how what you're wearing nonstop people are criticizing you and 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 talking about you do you really want that most of us will never get there but is that what you're is that really what you want along cuz that's going to come at some point that will come at least to some degree trust me even having a youtube channel with 16000 followers which i think i have <laughs> you know you still have to get prepared for negative comments so you you have to be prepared mentally for this type of thing like it's like getting into politics that's do you really want that yeah i mean like in the united states right now if you're a if you're a politician You can't go to a restaurant without other people yelling at you because of the policy that you're because of what your opinions are. It's terrible. There there who would ever want to do that? Your your life is threatened constantly by crazy people who have different opinions. 
Mm. Is that what you really want? Your kids have to have to be in special schools because of who you are. You know, that, think of what that's going to do to your kids' lives. Mm. They're not going to have any privacy either. Your whole life is under a microscope. And I don't think most people can really handle that. I really don't. I, I couldn't. <laughs> You're like, don't you want your channel to get bigger? I'm like, I don't know if I do. Like, I'll let it go. I'm not sure. Because I get stressed out enough just with what I have mm. for me. Like, I don't know if I want to get bigger. I don't want more messages. And it just becomes more demands on your time. Yep. And people, yep. and the amount of emails I get mm. and, and messages. And I understand they want help. <laughs> and they're not thinking about my own life and that I have a life and my own stresses in life and, and all the things that everyone else goes through in life. I got them too. You know, I, so it, it gets overwhelming. So you got to be, you got to be um, aware of the realities of popularity. <laughs> oh, let me just tell So when I was young, hmm. I was always, I would look at other guys who had a lot of girls liking them. And I was like, oh, that must be the most amazing thing ever. Okay. Uh, uh. So it never happened to me, at least I wasn't aware of it happening to me until I was my senior year in college. And I had like four or five girls that liked me. All right. Now I was not one of those people that would like sleep with every, like I, that, that's like way too much work anyway, but I, was like, <laughs> I wasn't, I just, I just wasn't like, like, I wasn't wired like that. Like I like, if I like someone, I like them. I don't have interest in a lot of different people at once. I just never have. Mm. So, so what happened was I finally discovered what it was like to have multiple girls like you at once. <laughs> and I didn't like it no. because I had, to, I, I had, I wasn't an asshole excuse my language. Yeah. So no I didn't like having to kind of reject them, but not really re- like it was hard for me to kind hmm. of keep them like turn down their advances. Yes. So I was like, Oh, this is, I don't like this whatsoever. So again, I always had this fantasy in my head about what it would be like if, if I had, you know, more than one girl or even one girl <laughs> like hmm. when I was young, like, Oh, what it would be like to have a girl like me. Um, but when I actually had like the four or five, I remember specifically when the time period was, I, it was too stressful. It was too stressful because I'm not, you have to learn, you know, I said, in a way, I guess a lot of people that when they are popular, Hmm. whether they ask to be popular or not, they actually have to learn how to reject people. Uh, and some of them, I may, you know, it's like they get approached so much. Like, what do you expect them to do? They can't talk to every single person. Like I can't, I can't respond to every single person that emails me as small as I am in this huge world. Even sometimes I get overwhelmed. So Mm -hmm. think about people who have millions of followers, uh, you know, like, is that what you really want? It's not what, it's not what you expect. You have to, you have to be open, aware of what life, the reality of popularity really is. And a lot of people can't handle it. Mm -hmm. They really can't. I I remember reading an Al Pacino interview where he was saying, I love people who dare to say no on my face. Mm. I love yeah, those who's people. Who's going to say no to Al Pacino? But he said that there were very few. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, few. right, right. And that is why he always used to be in touch with those people. Like, I have to be in touch with these people. They keep me grounded. They can say no to the Al Pacino, so I want to be with them. Yeah, no, it's true because it's like, because you know people, it's, it's like when... Uh, someone laughs at everything you say, like, hmm. they, what do they want from me? I'm not that funny. 
Yes. So, you know, so Al Pacino knows that people, because of who he is, they're going to say whatever they think he wants to hear. They're going to mm. do whatever they can because they want his validation. Oh my God. If Al Pacino says hello to you, mm. you've made it in the world. Of course yeah. you haven't. That's what they're thinking. And, or, or he has to think of what do they want from me? Because he has stuff that they want. Mm. That's just, that's just the reality of being famous. You have fame. They, you have some sort of attention or money or something that they want. So you have to be careful about who approaches you. And that's what so many athletes and actors fall into that, that trap hmm. of, and they all know it in Hollywood. They know you have to be careful about who you associate with and younger people who don't, aren't very sophisticated. And a lot of athletes are not coming from areas of the country where there's less like their education levels may not be that high. Their sophistication level may not be that high, but 70% of professional athletes in the United States are broke hmm. within a couple of years of retirement, 70% because they, 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 they're just not sophisticated enough. They're too young to understand the way of the world. They understand where they came from. You know, they can survive in that environment where maybe aggression is the rule and living a certain way, but then they get out into the bigger world mm. and it doesn't translate. It's like me going to Brazil is not going to work very well if I have to live there. Cause I don't know the local culture. I wouldn't, I could I survive in Brazil. Yeah. But how would I adapt to life in India? Mm. I know about Northern New Jersey. I know things about North Jersey that other people don't know by how they speak, by how they think. Put me in Nebraska, where the Postural Restoration Institute is. Mm. It's a very different world. They're thinking about they're thinking about life in a very different way. So we all have a certain type of intelligence because of where we grow up, but it might not work very well in a different part of the world or even a different part of your state. Mm. <laughs> so um, you have to be aware of things of how life really is outside of where your little community is, and how life really just works in general. So if you want fame, you have to understand what, and money, you have to understand that doesn't come for, that doesn't come for free. Let's put it that way. Right. Cause your friends go away very quickly when you no longer have money or, you know, and a lot of the people will, but your friends will stay with you. That's the thing, you know, and that, and that's, and that's, I mean, that's a story that's probably been 3000 years old. Yep. It's, it, has to, it has to be retold every generation in a different, in a slightly different context, because nothing's changed from the time of the Buddha and the time of now, really human behavior is human behavior. He was talking about the same stuff that you see now. It's just, they didn't have Hollywood back then. They didn't have Instagram back then, but it's the same. It's all applicable. It's because it's all the same stories over and over and over again. It's all the same stuff, just in different contexts. Mm. And, but it's true. Like who can you truly trust? Who is really going to be with you? And you can't get upset that people aren't going to be with you because they have their own lives to worry about. Yep. And so set your expectations truthfully that think about how many people in your life that you truly care about and think about on a, and you have to be truthful with yourself. There's only going to be a small amount of people, family and friends that you really have emotional investment in and would really be, because you just can't think about that many people. If you do, you'll be overwhelmed. So you can't get upset when you realize eh, most people don't really care about you either hmm. because you can't truly care about too many people. Otherwise you'd have no time to even live. True. So you got to set your expectations before thinking like, Oh, the world's against me. No, just realize that, you know, 
you can only put your focus on so many people. So don't expect all these other people who you think really like you when they leave and you never hear from them again, don't be like, Oh, I was, I'm so betrayed. No, it's just your expectation hmm. was delusional. You just didn't understand life the way it really is. You have to examine what, how many people can you truly be interested in at once? And so it can't be that many. So don't criticize others when they lose interest in you because <laughs> it's going to happen. So just don't take it personally. It's just, it's just how life is. And that's the thing. A lot of people just have expectations of delusional expectations. They're just not realistic because uh, they were never explained to it. You, never, you just never think about that type of thing. Everyone's got their own busy life and they can only put so much mental effort into so many people. It just can't be endless people. And you have to realize that you can't criticize in others what you do yourself. And we do. <laughs> we see it. We say things in others that we, we do. don't see our, ourselves doing. And that's a huge problem for your own happiness. Because then once you realize the truth of the matter, that you can relax. You're like, oh, okay. It wasn't about me. That's just how life is. Mm, true. Once you realize just that's how life is, and it's not really going to change. Again, it can freak you out. <laughs> or it can be very liberating. And be like, oh, I don't have to, you know, everything I say is not, so important you know not responding to this email is not such a big deal in the, in the grand scheme of of life so think realizing that you're not that important mm. is actually such a relief liberating yeah liberate absolutely it's liberating for me it was so, so what was uh the influence that your father had on your life and how do you remember him today so the impact he had on your life um it's hmm. an interesting question um i don't know that he had a huge impact on my life well um, his death it was gonna sound bad but like when he died i had to realize that life is can be very short and there's no point in what's the point in doing something you hate to do Hmm. Like, because I was doing IT work, computer work back then. Uh, and when he died unexpectedly, unexpectedly, <clears throat> you start to rethink about how you're spending your life. And that was a big thing to get me moving, like to, to change or do something different. Because I knew what I was doing wasn't working. I was just miserable. So, I mean, I was at, I had hit rock bottom. There was nowhere to go, but up. So I was like, well, I'm not going to lose anything by quitting because I had no one to support. So it wasn't a big deal. Um, I just had a let go of that fear of, of quitting. There was no really, there was nothing to fear. It, it, that's the thing. Like there's this mental block that didn't really exist. I didn't even know what I was fearful of, probably what, what people would think, but I'm not even sure I was thinking that much about what other people would think. I don't really know what stopped me from making changes earlier. I don't know that most people can even really explain what their blocks are. I really don't. We just, can't do it for some reason. We can't make the change. Um, but so his death, that was important. Um, you know, he liked reading a lot, history. Uh, he was very intellectual. So I guess that was just part of my, part of what I was doing naturally. It was because we were just so many books in the house. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Yeah. Was it was it close to you or like the traditional father and son? But it was like, way this... more traditional. Uh, yeah, it was it was way more like father son, <laughs> and that's it. Like we weren't best friends. It wasn't that type of thing. You know, I think unfortunately, as we when I moved when I got into my twenties, we actually started to communicate a little after college. We started to actually have slightly deeper conversations about stuff we had had never come up before, uh, and I don't know if that was because. I don't know why that was, to tell you the truth, but um, I do remember having some kind of deeper, more personal conversations with him, and they died. So I don't know what would have come out of that, uh, but when I was young, it was like sports, history, hmm. not, much more, not much more than that. Uh, so that's just, that's just how it was. Uh, so I can't say there was a huge influence there. Uh, which I think, I don't know that most, a lot of people, a lot of people, oh, a lot of people tend to say, oh, my parents were such an amazing influence on me. I don't know. I don't know. They were there physically and like, I had a mm. safe place to come home to, which is a lot. And there was always food on the table, which you can't say for a large portion of the world. Yep. So I think that's just what the family was. Um, and again, it was nice, you know, towards before he died, we did have some deeper conversations. So maybe we would have, we would have connected more later on in life, mm. uh, but that didn't really happen. So that was, that was that. And th there's a line, uh, a father is always the last person to know what's going on in his son's personal life, which is, <laughs> which is <laughs> hilarious, scary, everything at the same time. Like how to interpret this? I mean, True. That is that that hundred percent correct. Because he never asked. Never asked. <laughs> so because it might know. lead to awkward conversations, and that is why oh, yeah. oh. avoid it altogether. Yes, that probably was it. He it would probably lead to conversations that he didn't know how to have, and I'm sure that was the same thing with his father, because it was a very traditional Irish catholic upbringing so again that means something to me as someone who's from an irish catholic background even though i'm not religious i know what irish catholicism is mm -hmm. and i know what irish culture is and the things that were not discussed uh and it's not a secret to how much feelings are not acknowledged huh. <laughs> emotions are not acknowledged all right so it's it's like watching watching like a british tv show from that took took place in like the 1800s or Like, have you heard of Downton Abbey? No. All right. Well, it, you know, there, it's around 1914, right before World War I. Okay. And they're in England and they got a big house and there's no emotion whatsoever. They, they all, they just talk like this. Like, ah. hello, daughter. Hello, son. Like, there was no emotion. Whatsoever. So when I started watching that, when I started watching that show, I was like, oh, this, this is familiar. It's just, that's just how it was. So, um, but yeah, that statement, 100% true. 100% true. It's, it's like it's prevalent everywhere. And I think my generation, I, I always tell this to my close friends that our generation should be the first one to change this. Otherwise, it will keep on going on forever and it is not helping anyone. No, and it's not healthy for the kid exactly. who, can't, who can't manage life. Exactly. Uh, and, and that's what happened to me. I couldn't manage, I couldn't put my life experiences and that feeling of social pain and rejection, I couldn't put it into perspective and it became very personalized. 
So I all, thought it was all about me. I couldn't see it from a bigger point of view. Yeah. Uh, and that's just a lot of negative energy that builds up in, an, in, a, in a kid, especially when you go through puberty and life is changing and your body is changing and you discover the opposite sex and all that sexual energy is there because of the testosterone mm. and you don't know how to deal with life. And that, that's, I'm sure there's people who never recover from that time period. True. Because they just have no one to help them understand the experiences of their life. And exactly. not everyone can, and not everyone can afford therapy. I mean, yeah. not everyone can afford to pay a professional to help them sort through those experiences. I'm lucky I found it in, in Buddhism. And I guess, you know, I have a mind that, and I, my friend is a psychologist or she's a professor. And uh, we had talked about my, just on a friend to friend basis about my experiences. And actually she specializes in that time period of, you know, 10 ages, 11, 12, 13, 14. And she, and she said, that's a place where a lot of kids get lost yep. because of the changing world, their social world changes as they get older and they get put into bigger schools and some kids grow fast and some don't. And then, you know, the pressures of hormones and, and, and sexual feelings really just, when you don't understand how to put those things into perspective, the feeling is so overwhelming that it can really lead to tons of depression and, and problems if you have no one to help you. And most people don't have anyone to help them, I don't think. Uh, so, but she said, you know, I think my, my, my brain, the way my mind works, it's a mind that is easily depressed because I think too much. Hmm. But on the other hand, my mind is the type that once shown a better way, I'm good. Mm. So even though my mind was really prone to depression, it was also the type of mind that can adjust easily because I then found something that put that perspective, put that experience into perspective. So, you know, I was, so now I'm thankful for my mind. Hmm. Whereas before I would have been cursing my mind, like I can't stop thinking about these things, but now it's a blessing because it's the same mind, huh. but now I use it more effectively. Yeah, true. So because yeah. imagine like the teenage, the uh, puberty stage, at that stage, a kid, uh, I would say the kid turning into adult, whatever, has mm. pe the people around that kid are parents and his school friends and whoever. If parents do not enlighten him regarding what's happening and all he has is school friends, like even they, they're 11, 12, 13, they even don't know what life is. They're right, going through right. the same shit. So. Right. They're doing the same thing. Yeah. They still, they all think the same thing. Yeah. So yeah, you're helpless. You're literally helpless. Exactly. And that is, uh, that is, I think that is why the role of like, if you have an elder brother or if, an, if you have an elder sister who is like, there's a good age difference that helps a lot. If, Help, yeah siblings are close like they can help understand like i went through this this is what mm -hmm. is happening that is what is happening other because it's not even uh what to say it's not even realistic to uh ask parents for help because in most of the society it's like shh, 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 these topics right 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 and, and they, they don't even understand because the pressure is different like every generation has a different type of pressure especially now with social media, social media. I and mean, that's not like 
even for me, I'm, a, I'm still fascinated by all these social media things and capabilities that I was, I'm not even aware of now because I just don't pay as much attention to it, but what kids can do with their phones and mm. uh, the amazing things that you can look up where your friends are hanging out without you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was young, you had to kind of, gee, I wonder where people are without mm. me. <laughs> now you can look it up, <laughs> you know, she, oh, that's terrible. And so you can just stare at your phone and be like, oh, yeah, that they're all hanging out without me. They're hanging out without me. They're hanging out without me. Imagine, I have, imagine I have, what happens. Imagine what happens because yeah. of this. So 14, 15 year old who wants to be like everyone's friend and tries to befriend everyone. But then he or she sees on social media, like this guy is, I want to befriend are hanging together in a restaurant. They have not even bothered to call me. Imagine what goes through the mind i remember that experience well and it had nothing to do with social media it was just uh, you find out on monday morning when you're at school where everyone was hanging out without you yes yeah it's tough it's, yeah tough. so when we were talking about uh, the different countries and different culture you have a very interesting incident to share regarding world war ii germans and americans so please share that yeah. that's very interesting okay yeah so we were I guess, I don't know how the discussion started, but we were talking about not knowing. Oh, I think we were talking about the difficulty of training online, especially with someone from another country in a, in a very different culture. Yeah. And yeah. And so you, and, you know, you were just telling me about that you don't stand on books. Not something I would have known until, yes. except that I had an yes. Indian client in the United States who said the same thing. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But there's these little things that you just don't know hmm. about countries and other cultures that can make communication difficult expectations if you don't know what the other culture is all about your expectations are that they're going to do things the same way you do them hmm. and if you don't do them you're going to think well that's stupid <laughs> but uh, in reality if you were from that country there's probably a very good reason why they do things the way they do uh so we were just talking about so so, for, so co context for the listeners so neil and i before the call we are discussing regarding online training so I told him that I see coaches from the UK or Europe or USA, they do hills elevated squat with a book underneath their heels, which we Indians do not do because we do not step on uh, sources of knowledge, wisdom, because we worship uh, in Hindu mythology, we worship a goddess named Saraswati, and she's the goddess of wisdom and knowledge, literature, music. So we don't step on that. So it, there's this, uh, what to say, cultural difference that I see. And this is yeah. what exactly Neil and I were talking about. So yeah, continue yeah. from here. So I'm always fascinated by cultural differences. Other people, they get intimidated by cultural differences. And, you know, last week we, had, we were discussing the fact that uh, one way, I don't remember exactly how this came up from World War II, but we were just these little things that you know, so, oh, okay. Like these little cultural differences that other people won't pick up on because they don't live in the place, in that culture. And so during World War II, towards the end, during uh, a battle called the Battle of the Bulge, uh, it was 1944, and the Germans were, were starting their last great offensive. They were trying to find, they were trying to change something because things were going the wrong way for them. And one of the things they did was they were addressing German soldiers in American uniforms. And these Germans were speaking, uh, they spoke perfect English with no 
no accent or they you know that everything was most likely they were probably Germans who had lived in the United States for a long time, but then went back to Germany because that did happen and to fight for the fatherland. So they would, they would uh, dress the German soldiers in American uniforms and send them behind the American lines to try to create problems. And because their English was so perfect, you had no way of knowing was this a German soldier or a, or an American soldier because they look the same. There, there's, you know, they just look the same. If it was a Japanese soldier, obviously that wouldn't happen, right. but yeah. you know, they just look the same. So what they were doing, what the Americans eventually started to do was they would, if they, if they believed that someone that they were coming upon may have been a German soldier, they would challenge them with questions about American culture. Hmm. And one of them, now this was either in a movie or something that I read. And sometimes things in movies are what the writers of the movies had read. So it yeah. could be the same. So they, uh, one of the questions asked was what did, of course, probably no one's going to know who Joe DiMaggio is, but what, did, what, what was Joe DiMaggio's batting average in 1937 or 1938? Now, Joe DiMaggio was a famous American baseball player. And what 20-year-old kid or 19-year-old kid or 21-year-old American kid wouldn't know mm. what Joe DiMaggio batted in 1937 because baseball was the biggest thing in the United States. So the German couldn't answer. They wouldn't know. So they're like, this guy's not American. Mm. He's a German. Arrest him. So they had to ask cultural questions because they knew the German wouldn't be able to answer the question. And these little changes in knowledge. And then we talked about Afghanistan oh. and how foreign policy and how, how dumb our leaders can be. And we <laughs> are all assuming we know things about other cultures and other countries. And we really don't. Uh, and I remember there was an interview and I can't remember who was being interviewed, but probably an expert in Afghanistan who was, who was fully aware of the fact that we don't know that much about Afghanistan. So an expert, I think, is someone who acknowledges that we don't know that much, mm. Mm. that there's, there's limitations to our knowledge. And he said, you know, you could take someone from Harvard University. Mm. They could go to Afghanistan. They could work for the CIA. They could speak whatever the Afghanistan language is, because I'm not even sure which exactly it is. Maybe he could speak local dialects also, but he still would know nothing compared to the average illiterate villager. Yep. Because they can, they can figure you out so quickly just by the same way, by, this, the, by the way you say one certain letter. They know you're not from there. They may not know who you are. They don't, you, they know you're not from there. You don't know where to go in the, you don't know the hills and the valleys and the, and the, and, and the environment. So you're not, this highly educated Harvard Westerner who might speak the language knows nothing compared to the local illiterate villager. And I just remember thinking, this is not going to end well. Because mm. <laughs> this was after 9-11. Yeah. And then we went into Iraq and it was like, oh, what are we doing? And the ironic <laughs> thing is, the ironic thing is the State Department. So that's like the foreign policy of the United States. Uh, in back in 1948 or 19, around that time, hmm. maybe the early 1950s, they said, and it's in a, it's in a book about either one of the presidents. Uh, there are two places in the world that the United States should never intervene because the culture is too different. Uh, Asia, so 
Japan, China, Korea, place like that. Of course, we did. And the Middle East. Mm. And of course, where did the Americans get stuck so badly? Vietnam. Well, Korea also, but Vietnam and the Middle East. Like, people aren't dumb. People think, oh, these stupid government officials. Mm. No, there are people who dedicate their lives to knowing something Mm. like this expert. And he knew that we still don't know enough about these cultures. It's too different for us to go in and make a lasting difference. These people exist in the United States government. The United States, as much as we think the government is stupid, there's experts there that aren't that dumb. It's just the politicians Mm. don't pay attention to them. They want to, their policy is whatever is going to get them elected. So it's not like no one, it's not like no one knew the problems that were going to be there. They know. They knew back in the 1940s. It's just that no one pays attention to the to the people, the ex, the experts, mm. or they pay attention to one expert that says opposite of what 99% of the other experts say because it fits their agenda. So you know, it's just those little cultural differences that are so interesting, but can can really mess up uh, relationships. Sure. Uh, and oh, like even with New Jersey, I know. <laughs> someone is from south southern part of the state and new jersey is a small state a really small state if you look on a map it's really small there's a lot of people there though there's like 12 to 14 million people in the state of jersey but i know that someone is not from where i live from the northern part of the state because they call a pork product this type of ham mm-hmm. that we have they call it pork roll and people from the northern part of the state call it taylor ham so if you call it pork roll i know you're from southern new jersey or you're definitely not from Northern New Jersey. Hmm. And then people from outside of the state of New Jersey have never even heard of it. Hmm. So it's these little things that make life so interesting. And that's why I find, that's why immediately I, I looked at the pictures on your wall and I was like, what's that? And yes. what's that? Because yeah. I'm just excited by those things. I'm not intimidated by them. A lot of people are very intimidated by things they, they are not, hmm. they don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I love it. Like it doesn't, and a lot of, because a lot of times it, people will think that if you acknowledge interests in other cultures it must mean that your culture is not the best of, in some way like there you have too much pride in your own culture it's yeah, fine to have pride in your own culture but everyone has pride in their own culture usually mm. so who's right like you're because it, it, it and this it just comes down to ego yep. and national ego and so much war and destruction and pointless conflict is because of national ego mm. and not understanding how other countries do things for very legitimate reasons. If you lived in that country, you would probably do this. You would be doing the same thing. You would think of it the same way because that idea came from a certain place and a certain condition in time that you're completely unaware of and a history you have no idea about. And you just have to be aware, like just be interested in other people's lives and you'll do well in your own life. Talking about other religions, um, so if you could explain the similarities and how you found the similarities between buddhism and pri and how they changed your life so buddhism so, so you're you're christian but you found oh no, no. so i was i i'm theoretically catholic okay. Theoretically, <laughs> i never went very far <laughs> yeah so i mean on paper you're christian yeah. on paper yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but you found so much in buddhism and pri yeah. so explain that world of yours uh So before I really understood what PRI was doing 
on a muscle basis because it's complicated. Like, what does the serratus do? What does the low trap do? What does this muscle do? What does this muscle do? I was really struggling with that. I was much better with the pelvis because I was very interested in the pelvis. And we, we study a lot about legs and hamstrings and adductors. And, but we don't talk about serratuses and low traps in the same way and their move and, 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 and pattern. We, we just don't talk about that. So I was doing much better with the pelvis. What I didn't do well with was the upper body with the, the yeah. upper, you know, torso and rib cage. Uh, but what I was realizing that the way that the founder t- was teaching, he was, he was giving you every now and then he would, he would throw in this philosophical way of looking at it or a holistic way of looking at it. And what I realized was, even if I didn't understand the whole muscle issue, like what the muscles were, that wasn't the big part. The big part was you have to let go of a pattern, which is a pattern of right dominance. When that turns off, when that right, when that right dominance inhibits or relaxes, the left side of the body will do its work, but the left side can't do its work until the right side inhibits. And that theme of letting go, I was like, wait a minute, this is just like, this is no different. The body's functioning the same way that the human mind is working, is working. And in Buddhism, obviously it's about letting go and you have to let go of whatever you're attaching yourself to. And once I realized, once I saw that, because I had already been studying Buddhism before I found PRI and just almost at the same time, but slightly before. And that's how I was making sense of PRI was through my reading of Buddhist psychology, because it's, it's talking about the same functions. And the more you study it, the more you realize the muscles and the bones are not the big thing. Mm-hmm. It is the mind. And it is the sensory input. So, you know, you can find, that's why when people ask, how do you learn more about PRI? Like read Buddhist psychology, you'll get a better understanding of it than just trying to figure out what the muscles are doing because the muscles aren't the issue Mm. you just don't know how to use the muscles training the hamstring more is not going to help you (laughs) you have to learn because if you don't turn off the right side that Mm. hamstring is useless you can keep doing leg curls you can keep doing everything you want to do but your brain can't use it or won't use it until your brain feels safe so the in so the right side can relax because you're using the right side to support you. You're using extension to support you in a threatening situation. So you have to lower the threat, whether that threat is coming from ankle instability because you had ankle sprains, mm. shoulder issues, whatever, or you just sit down and use the, your right arm too much on the computer. Over time, that becomes yeah. pattern. Now your left side is no longer being used. And now your brain says, wait a minute, the left side is not used. And so it freaks out. So it tightens mm-hmm. you up as a protective mechanism. Or maybe your life is too stressful because of your home life. Or who knows what's going on in your mind. It's a threat. If it's threatening, you're going to tighten up and that right side will be overactive. It doesn't work the opposite way. The left side does not become overactive. It becomes tense, but it's not the issue. Mm-hmm. The right side not turning off is the issue. Yep. I, I just So for me... I understood PRI through that mindset or that, that perspective of letting go. And mm. that's, so that's how really Buddhism really helped me understand PRI because it's the same, same concepts, just different words. So, so, so you have been doing uh, PRI videos, like explaining people what PRI concepts are, principles are to people through your YouTube videos. So you have 16,000 followers. No, 16, 16, 16. Yeah. One, six, 16,000 yeah. followers. So, so in this age of social media and popularity, 16,000 is a big number, to be honest. 
So how do you deal with the positive comment and the negative comment? I'm sure I have seen that you receive negative, but it's very less, very less compared to the positives. But even though there is something, how yes. do you deal with that? And how do you see social media? Uh, well, the positive comment, I answer, I answer as many comments as I can without, because I can't spend the whole day behind a computer. Otherwise, I now have an IT job. Mm, yeah. <laughs> My body and brain will not allow me to have an IT job again. So I answer whatever I can. I'll obviously prioritize the thoughtful responses. Mm. Um, because, yeah, I'll prioritize the responses that are thoughtful. If someone just says, hey, great video. My left shoulder's higher. What should I do? <laughs> I mean, it's impo- you know, it's impossible to answer that question anyway. So those yep. types of things, I just have to skip because I just can't. And people have to do some work. You know what? I have 100 videos all about this yeah. subject, over 100. Watch a couple more videos. And maybe it'll be, mm-hmm. You can't just watch one video and be like, hey, okay, what should I do now? Yeah. That's not going to work like that. So I, I can't prioritize those types of. But I do prioritize thoughtful comments. Uh, and especially people who comment thoughtfully more than once. You know, because most people are just, they're just going to send in one and never come back again. Yes. Yes. So I prioritize people who I see often. Yeah. Those people are actually, those people are actually, they saw Neil Hennin's video. They're going to post, oh, what should I do? If this guy responds, responds well and good. I will now go to 10 other videos who are talking about back pain. Yeah. Right, 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 right. So I prioritize people who comment more than once, who who keep showing up with positive things and aren't um and 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 they're actually contributing their that their their comment or question actually contributes to the knowledge of other people who might see that comment uh, because i read comments all the time i always look for comments you know and i think a lot of people do look for comments so so many answers hmm. are found in the comments because i've already answered the question and some people are very aware of that and they do their own research hmm. and they work at it and which rewards them because then they're learning as they do it. Someone who just says, my left shoulder's higher and my right foot, <laughs> what should I do? I'm not answering because there's no way to answer. And so I can't, and I can't please everybody. Uh, but so I prioritize thoughtful comments, very positive comments, um, and people who comment more than once. So that's kind of what I prioritize. Hmm. Negative comments, I either ignore them because most people, you know, I know for, I would never think of watching a video and simply just leaving a negative comment. Exactly. It wouldn't even occur to me to do that. Why would I, why do I, I, one guy said, you know, people have to tell me why I should be interested in their video. I didn't tell you to be interested in my video. Like why are you even watching this? (laughs) (laughs) It was the most ignorant comment I ever had. Like I wasn't, authority enough i wasn't authoritative enough but it, it just but that's the mindset of people they're just angry to begin with so no happy person if you and this goes back to popularity true if someone's popularity is built off criticizing other people or being mean hmm. why would you want to be that person because you know they're not happy if they were happy it would never they would never think of doing those things it doesn't occur to you True. So why would you want that life? Why? But we don't think that. We just see popularity mm. and and fame or whatever popularity and think, oh, that must be great to have. But obviously it's not. If that person is leaving a negative comment or attacking other people on Twitter, 
why would that fame is not making that person happy? Because a happy person wouldn't be doing what that person is doing. True. So, so it just, you wouldn't even think of it. I think I never think of leaving a critical comment. Same here. I, I barely watch what people are doing because I'm so I'm so confident in what I'm doing with my own life. I'm not self-conscious about what I'm putting out there. Hmm. I'm really not. I'm that. I couldn't say that ten years ago, but now I can. And when you're so confident about what you do, you really don't worry about what people criticize. No, yeah. because I mean, you know they're ignorant, not in a bad way. They just don't understand. They just don't know. So I don't take it. So either they're angry yeah. and I feel bad for them. Like something's yeah. going wrong. Person's yeah, life. you feel bad for them. So you yeah, know, you know that it's about them, not about you. Absolutely. Yeah, it's about them. And I also know that there's no way they understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. So what's the point? So don't even respond. But if it's something that, if I detect in their comment that there might be a, a little bit of, I could help them possibly hmm. to see it in a different way, I'll, I'll often respond and say, oh, hey, you know, I've talked about, you know, what, you're, what you think, I've talked about that. Hmm. And sometimes like, oh, thanks. Now I, it makes more sense to me. Uh, and some people just don't know how to communicate. The amount mm. of emails I get or messages where they surf for the way they start the messages. Hey, like, did you ever learn to communicate? You don't start an email or a letter or a mess with, Hey, it's rude. <laughs> I'm not going to read it. Don't, don't, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't think younger people are really taught how to communicate anymore. Mm especially because everything is through messages. They don't, they don't know how to write a formal letter. Not everybody. because I get, I'm no, I get plenty of emails that are very respect and I'm not an ego person, hmm. but it's a turnoff when it's just once, Hey, like, no, that's not how you do it. Like you, you say, Neil, I would rather say hi, Neil, comma. It doesn't have to be Mr. Hallinan. I don't, I don't care about that, yeah. but you don't start something off by saying, Hey, Like you're not going to get anything you want in life. If mm. you need help from somebody, assume that other people are asking for help also. You're yeah. not going to get noticed when you say, hey, that yeah. guy, that person is going to skip you. Uh. It's just rude, first of uh. all. Uh. It's just rude. You know, there's common, you know, I'm not the Buddha. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am human. And you know, if you just say, hey, I'm even like, why is this person, what's this person like? I want to work with this person who's respectful, respectful. Yes. yes. So, you know, so those, I'm not sure if that answered the question. Oh, no, I did answer the question. So I just, sometimes I just ignore the negative stuff, but if there's mm. something in that question where they actually mm. want to learn, yeah. they just don't understand, then I'll, I'll, I'll help them understand. I'll point them to a direction that will give further. Understanding. But if it's just a negative thing and it's whatever, I don't, I don't bother with it. Yep. Yeah. I, I remember I wrote hi Neil. So like, I'm addressing you. Hey, is just so random and like, hey, 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 what? Hey. <laughs> what? You're a cow. You eat hay. A horse? Uh, am I? Am I a horse? <laughs> I don't eat hay. It just makes. Uh... You know, whenever you're, and this is one of those things that it's a life skill. If you need help from somebody, you gotta write the nicest hmm. letter. And most respect, you are asking a professional who's dedicated their life to a certain subject. If that's really, we're not talking about a friend. I'm not your friend. Hmm. I don't even know you. 
if you want, and it's not an ego issue. It's just, that's how the world works. It's one of those things. That's how the world works. If you want help from somebody, assume that other people want help also. Hmm. Right. They can't help everybody. So if you want to be seen, Hmm. Hey, is not the way to do it. You, you have to be the most respectful, considerate person you can be the same way you would talk to, you know, someone that you revere, like a grandfather, Hmm. someone who means so much to you. You have to act the same way. Otherwise they're just going to disregard you. They're not going to pay attention to you. Why should they, you know, you're not, that person does not owe you a thing. You're the one asking for help. Yes. Be respectful. And I don't, a lot of people are not respectful and they demand your help. Like, are you, hmm. you know, so no, I'm yeah. not going to, and, and if you indulge it, but it, the problem is also this, if you give them an answer, you, you're not helping that person in, in all reality because their mindset hasn't changed. Like they're still going to think that they can demand things from yeah. other people. They have to learn a lesson. And sometimes the best lessons are learned by realizing that the way you were doing something wasn't completely inappropriate. And maybe you just didn't know any better, but you have to learn. Otherwise you're going to be stuck and you're never going to get to where you want in life because the higher up you go, those people are going to ignore you. If you do not offer them something in return, even if it's just common respect, you know, just courtesy, it's just courtesy. There's no courtesy anymore. I mean, there is, but you just see so much discourtesy. Yep. This is a mistake which I had done earlier, like uh, around February, March, I, I had some people approached me for help and I ended up giving them my cell phone number. At 10.30 in the night, 11 p.m., I think my pelvis is going to the right, my spine is going to the left. I don't give two cents about your pelvis and spine at 10.30, 11 p.m. of <laughs> yeah. my night. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. care about your pelvis. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, and that happens. So you got to be very... Yeah, I'm very careful now. Yeah, you have to be. because. And, and the other thing is this. If you answer once, they're uh-huh. going to ask again. So it's like, and you know what's going to happen. Hmm. So I'm still, I'm always going through this. And it's patterns. You start to recognize patterns on how things go. So it's like, all right, I, you do want to help. But you know, if you if you answer, then they're just going to ask another question and another and another mm. and then they'll email you if you don't respond to the instagram and then they'll go through whatsapp and it's never ending and now all your you, you just keep getting bombarded by this stuff and like we've talked about there's i'm still trying to figure out how to do things i don't know that there's a perfect way i really don't so you just do what you do and you yeah. can't work and i think True. that's what most yeah. religion and philosophy is what what they really are trying to do is allow you to live without anxiety that uh, you're doing something wrong. There's no perfect way to do things. You're never going to find it. So just do what you can live with, whatever, however you feel comfortable doing something. Hmm. It's not going to be perfect for everybody. It will be perfect for others. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't make everybody happy. And that's the hard thing. It is hard until you finally just realize there's no perfect way to do it. There's no perfect way to live doing something different is not going to be better than what you're doing right now. You True. may think it is, but there's no guarantee that that's the case. So you can't have regret either. Like if you like, Oh, I should have done that five years ago and things would have been so much better. Well, you have no clue that things would have been better. No clue. There was no guarantee. There's no guarantee that your next job is going to be better than your job right now. You can every, take that risk. Every, every, no 
everyone's an expert looking back in the past like but yeah. back then you didn't know you didn't have the yeah, idea no, no. <laughs> you, you couldn't have made that decision like yeah so there's no point in regretting and there's no person there's no point in getting anxious about the future even though we do because we're humans uh just the the whole point is like don't be so anxious about life because there is no perfect way to do so. you're not missing anything hmm If you think there's someone else to be or somewhere else to be, you're going to be anxious. Once you realize that being that person, hmm. you don't even know who that person is to begin with. They're not telling you everything about their life. So once you realize, oh, being that person probably isn't so great. Hmm. And living in that, con- oh, living in the United States is actually really difficult. So maybe I shouldn't want to get there. <laughs> you know, trust me, you might get here, but it ain't so easy. Hmm. Like it's not. You know, if this, I, people still have this idea that, oh, it's so easy to be rich in the United States and everything is mm. so much better. There are certainly advantages to the United States, no doubt, yep. but it's not the promised land mm. the way that we all think it is. Otherwise you wouldn't have some, have you seen the United States recently in their political system? No. Have you seen how angry people are? If it was perfect, <laughs> you wouldn't be seeing this. So, you know, everyone's, it all comes back to you and, and being okay with your own life because you realize there's nothing out there that would necessarily be better than what you have right now. I mean, if you're in extreme poverty, that might be different. Huh. So I don't want to talk about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. If you're middle class, like if you're middle class in the United States, you're, there's, you have every opportunity in the world to be comfortable and happy. You really yep. do. Yep. Extreme poverty, that's something different yep. because that's just like, they don't have control. I mean, it would take, it would take the Buddha <laughs> to be okay with, to be okay with that. And yes. let's be honest. Most people are not going to be thinking along those lines. Huh. You know, that's very rare that you're going to find that. It's just too stressful to try to find food every day, to feed your family, just to find clean water, to pay the bill. Like that's too stressful to even think about hmm. you know, what I can do with my life to make me happy. But if you're middle class in the United States and you're not happy, well, you really only have yourself to blame because <laughs> it, it's true because everything's, uh, everything is available to you. Because you, even books, because mm. the moment you make that conscious change of thought where your consciousness changes from, oh, people in New York City aren't living better than me, living mm. in Alabama or some other state, not necessarily. Realizing that those people, mm. yeah, they might make a lot of money, but they're spending $50,000 a year to send their kid to nursery school, to primary school. $100,000, you know, $500,000 in New York City, making that a year is not that much. It might be a lot to someone living in a cheaper state, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I'm living in New York city. I, that's not that much money. Yeah. So everything is relative. It's everything is once you realize that everything is relative, then you can be happy. But if you still think happiness is what you don't have, if you're under that illusion, if you think <laughs> that's true, that myth is true, then you have yourself to blame because you're not paying attention. You, you know, uh, I, I got reminded of this uh, Indian, big, very big Indian actor who was asked like, okay, you have conquered Indian film industry. When are you going to Hollywood? What he said was, so he was very satisfied with what he has. So he said, I would rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, do you want to be a, a, a what would we say a big fish in a in small world? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, Like what I have right now, I'm making a living do what I, doing what I love to do. I have respect from mm. 
people. Yeah. I'm making it. I feel like I'm making a difference. There is nothing worse when you realize, when you think that what you're doing doesn't matter in the world. Exactly. When you have no purpose. But if you feel like what you're doing is making a difference in other people's lives, there's nothing better than that. I can't assume that doing something different or getting bigger is going to make my life any better. I'm mm. well aware of that. I learned those lessons at a young age, thankfully. Uh, so it's like, don't you want to get bigger and make more and do it? No, because everything comes, there's a price for that. And it could mean loss of happiness for a variety of reasons. Just be, ha- be satisfied. It's hard to be satisfied with what you have until you really stop and think about the realities of what you think you want. The two greatest, I love this quote, the two greatest, no, the, yeah, the two biggest disappointments in life, not getting what you want and getting what you want. Wow. It is the greatest quote. I can't remember who said it, but it was an American. Uh, it is, and it's so true. You're so disappointed when you don't get what you want. And then when you do what, and this is just the, this is what the Buddha has been talking about for, you know, 2,500 years. And this is again, the point of all religions. Hmm. It's happiness will never be found in the material world. Material goods and items and wealth will never give you that peace because just anxiety, you have to make more money. You have to pay for more stuff. More people want something from you. You know, so if so many people get what they want or they think they wanted and they realize this is terrible. That's the story. That, that is the story of life. Yep. Yep. That, that, that's a vicious cycle. <laughs> it is a vicious cycle. And then you move on to something else. Oh, it must be because I need this now. Oh, or I need mm. that now. And the cycle. And that's the, the wheel of suffering. It's samsara. It's just, you, you got to step off that wheel of cycling of, of that wheel of suffering because it just leads to more suffering. You're just True. jumping from one thing to the next and you're never happy. True. Not because you can't be happy. You have every, if, again, if you're middle-class in the United States, you have legitimately everything you could possibly need. You probably have a safe home. You're probably living in a safe environment and you probably have enough food yeah. on everything else. It's on you. Yeah. You're just, you haven't expanded your mind enough to see the realities of life. So now let's talk about uh, women, relationship and happiness. Your opinion on this is so amazing, which we talked about last week. So, so what's your experience over the years and how do you view relationships now versus how you used to view in teenage twenties and thirties? Oh, okay. Yeah. So when I was younger and I didn't like my life, I didn't like what I was doing and I felt like a failure and there was low self-esteem issues also, but you know, you spend so much of your day doing a job that you don't like and it makes you miserable. You're always searching for something externally to make you happy. Hmm. And, you know, for any human being, especially when they're under the age of 40, they have that desire to procreate. It's biological. They they have that biological desire. You can't stop it. It's going to be there. Uh, so you're, but you're searching for, in my case, a woman thinking that's going to make you happy. Because again, when you're with that woman, especially in the beginning, you know, up, <laughs> up to 16 months, whatever, whatever they say, yeah, uh, they, you know, just that person smiling at you makes you feel good. It's dopamine, right? It's just chemicals. It's just pleasure. Then you get desensitized. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Until you get these, yeah, until, well, there's, that's the other uh, familiarity 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 yeah why can't i say that familiarity it happens yes that word 
breeds contempt. That's another great saying. So the more you're exposed to something, hmm. the more you like, the less you like it. Yeah. And that's what, yeah. So familiarity breeds contempt. So if you do something over and over and over again, eventually it stops having an impact on you. And that's a biological thing. So it's like a, it's like a stimulus for strength training. If you do it too much, your body stops responding. So you got to change things up to a degree at least. Uh, so when I was young, I thought happiness would be found. Oh, when I have hmm. the girlfriend or when I have the wife or when hmm. I have this or that or that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, because of that feel, those hormones and that dopamine, when that pretty girl smiles at you and interacts with, and you feel so good, you associate that with happiness. Hmm. You don't realize it's just a hmm. purely chemical reaction in your body trying to get you to procreate. Hmm. <laughs> to, babies <laughs> that's the drive that's what nature wants you to do uh and then but then as i got older and i realized the relationships i was having it, it wasn't necessarily going to get better with the next person and maybe it would but relationships are what they are they're two individual humans with different histories and different histories of pain and troubles you know not just yours mm. the other person has their own baggage as we say and so it's difficult you know there's not going to be that perfect relationship but you do believe that it's possible because you know you see it on instagram and stuff like that like oh and then of course again you don't know the true story but you think oh my god it's possible this person is so or or you you see that the picture of like the really old people who are like 95 and 93 and they're holding hands and they're so happy and you have no clue what went on in that person's life. None whatsoever. They probably hate each other. Just, you know, but you think that's what can happen. Oh, that's so Hmm. great. That And it's possible. And maybe it is possible. I'm not saying it's not possible, but come on, that's not real. That's not reality. Uh, But then as I started to do things that made me happy, Hmm. I, started, I started to feel better about my own life and I started to have purpose with the teaching with, with salsa and then training in the PRI. I stopped focusing so much. I stopped just naturally. I stopped thinking about that as much uh, because I was satisfied with what I was doing. So yeah, I'm 44. I'm not married. And I don't have kids. Do I think about it? Yeah. But it's not, um, it's not, a, it's not something that I, I obsess about in any hmm. way. Hmm. Because when I'm real, when I am doing the things I really like to do, uh, I'm not, I don't have a second thought about that type of thing. It's when you're by yourself and you're lonely, that's when you start thinking about those things or, or stress in life or, you know, business issues. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, Oh boy. Oh, what? I need something to help save me from the current situation because I don't feel good right now because of life has become stressful. How do I find something to make me feel better? Well, let me go find a girl. That's not, that's a temporary fix. And it's not going to change anything. And first of all, that person is real. If, if, if she knew that you were just interested in her to take you away from what you're mm. experiencing right now, how would that make her feel that you're, that she's just a way to distract you from your current situation? That's not very nice. We're so selfish in that way. You're, you're essentially using somebody to get you away from what you're presently don't want to feel. That's not very, that's a real human. She has feelings. I don't think she'd be cool with that. And it works both ways, obviously. Hmm. Um, so I just found that for me, uh, the more career, the better my career got, 
in terms of satisfaction, the less I thought about those other things. And that, and that goes the same thing for wealth and money also. Mm. The, the happier you become, the, the better you find yourself feeling about what you're doing. Mm. Those other things, they, they, they aren't as important as they are when you're not feeling good about how your life is going. So that's, that's kind of how I, what I realized. If you're not happy yourself in within yourself, you cannot find happiness in someone else. Right. And, and, and yeah. And a lot of times it's hard because people don't feel good about themselves. Huh. You know, cause it's like, yeah, okay. That sounds great, mm. <laughs> but I don't feel good about myself. So how does that change? Huh. Like, how do I, how is happiness found within you? Cause it, you just feel like crap. <laughs> so it's like, how do I find it? Um, but I think that's because you're, you have created a story hmm. in your own mind. Like I had where you're, you're feeling like crap because you, you believe the story that you're telling you because you misinterpreted life events. Like I did, you personalized rejection, you personalized pain. Hmm. You, you didn't know how to put life experiences into perspective so you feel bad about yourself. So happiness can't be found inside yourself. So you have to look other places. You just have to see life differently. And you realize, oh, I'm better <laughs> than I thought I was. And then you, can, then you realize it's a feeling. You're like, oh, I feel better. Okay, now I know what they mean. So you really have to, you have to celebrate the things that you do well. Uh, you have to stop comparing yourself to people. Pay attention to what makes you feel good. Hmm. Uh, you know, celebrate the things in your life that you've done well. It's okay. It's not, you know, if you're good at something, acknowledge it. There's no point in being modest about everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because otherwise you'll never realize what you're actually good at and use those skills to, to help others. True. So it's hard to, to find happiness within yourself when you don't feel good. Uh. But when you're doing something that you like and you've created a, maybe a business that you're making a living doing what you like, you're feeling better. And then you're like, oh, maybe this is what happiness is. Maybe mm. this is what they're talking about. Because it's all going to come down to that feeling mm. one way or another. It's going to come down to how you're feeling more so than what you're thinking. Now it's the rapid fire or the fractal fire round. Fractal fire. All right. Yeah. I'll do my best. Yes. So one skill that you need to work on professional as well as personal life listening listening to what people are saying B both sides professional and personal life yeah listening okay both <laughs> listening sides. to your clients and and listening to what what anyone in your personal life is hmm. uh is is really saying one book one movie one person the most influential from each category in your life Oh boy. One book. Uh, um, the, uh, the first Buddhism book I read, uh, the, can't remember the name of the book, but any, honestly, you could probably read any book about Buddhism. Uh, okay. Yeah. Buddhism. Discover, uh, Discover the Buddha within. I think that was what it was called. So that would be the book. Uh, what was the other one? One movie. Oh boy. Oh, I don't know. Uh, one movie that had an influence on it. Yeah. Oh, I'm not good at this. <laughs> uh, one person. Well, I'd have to say Ron Haruska. Hmm. I mean, there's no, there's nothing, there's no yeah. way I True. can't. Yeah. That. True. 
Movie? I don't know. I can't think of a movie. Okay. So, and one incident that has changed your entire lens of looking at life. Um, well, again, it comes back to that book. I'm telling you, everything changed when I found the, the Buddhism book. Um, and it was just talking about expectations and that the problem wasn't with me. It was with other people's expectations of me. They never asked me about me, what I wanted, or they wanted me to be a certain way for them, <laughs> not because they were truly caring about how I was. Hmm. So my disappointment in myself, I did nothing wrong. I wasn't right for them. Huh. True. And that's it. Their expectations of me were not what I was. They thought I was something Hmm. In their, they fantasized about me in a certain way, <laughs> not like just in a way like they, they had a dream. They had an image of me that they wanted to believe in so that they could be happier. Hmm. And when I wasn't that, they were saying, you should be like this. You should be, you don't do this right. You should be like that. And so that made me think, is there something wrong with me? And so I kept thinking there must be something wrong with me. There must be something wrong with me. But when I realized that I'm fine, there's nothing wrong with me. Hmm. I might not appeal to every single person and that's fine. That I am probably, I'm probably okay or good for maybe a smaller amount of people, but that's fine. I'm not doing, that's not my issue. That's their problem. Yeah. They wanted me to be a certain way for them. That was their expectation. Their expectation was not accurate. I never portrayed myself as something different than I what, what I was. And once I realized that, my whole life changed. True. It really did. That was, I, uh, that was the same book, <laughs> Discover the Buddha Within that just made such a huge difference in my life and how I, how I viewed life uh, and in just my own personal relationships that it wasn't, I was not, I was not the problem. <laughs> I really wasn't. And your biggest fear. My biggest fear. Um, I fear, I, I fear, really extreme climate change oh okay yeah, i do i do that's a it's going to be different it's answer gonna be, it's going to be so disruptive to life huh true in in so many different ways in every country and there are going to be so many people who are living in poor places hmm. who are they're going to you know the poverty is going to increase the, hmm. the the mass migration is going to i mean Yeah. The things that can happen if extreme climate change does it does occur. Hmm. Uh, if that does occur, that's gonna. It's not just like oh, it's hotter. <laughs> it's like yeah, but what is the impact upon food? Upon the Western United States barely has any water right now. What are you going to do with California and Arizona and hmm. Las Vegas? These places that have so little water. What are you going? Where are those hundred million people going to live? Where are they going to go? Hmm. when texas is too hot to live in when mexico is too hot when honduras el salvador panama where are they going to go mass migration to canada <laughs> yeah they're going to skip the united states and go to canada yeah right like, maybe, <laughs> colder, maybe colder will, places yeah it's colder yeah but so yeah that the, that's what i think about i'm not gonna lie that's, that's really that is really what i think about not just because it's two degrees hotter yeah. what that two degrees will do to the rest of the world true it's not just something that only affects far off places yeah as people in the United States are realizing this summer, because all these states that are never hot are insanely hot right now. 
and your most prized possession? Uh, hmm. Well, right now, my little, my, 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 my drums. Ah. It's, it's helping me sleep. I saw your IG post. Yeah, because it's helping me sleep using my left hand more. Um, but other than that, I don't really, I don't know that I have any really prized possessions. I don't, I give a lot of, I get rid of a lot of stuff. Because hmm. I just, I don't have the emotional attachment to a lot of hmm. stuff, uh, which is a good thing, I think. Uh, but you know my PRI manuals; those are really important. Books ah, in general. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and your your definition of success and happiness. Like so, we have discussed this, but if yeah, you had yeah. to frame in one sentence. I can I can do that because I came up with something a couple of years ago that made it clear for me that my definition of success is when things go wrong in quote unquote, when things go wrong or you have a bad, a bad month for mm. business or, or COVID or a year, you know, when things go the way that you don't want them to go, when life gets a little bit more stressful because maybe you had a bad month and you're not bringing in the same amount of money and you have mm. bills to pay, whatever it's going to be. Whenever things get difficult, that I never seriously doubt the path I've chosen. Hmm. That's a very important one. That's my definition of success. That because I'm secure enough to realize that the other path, a different path, would not have made me put me in a better place. Hmm. I know that. So if I if I if things are going not as well, and like two years ago when the a car crashed into the dance studio where I used to use. I used to use to do PRI sessions, completely mm. destroyed. So I couldn't do my sessions there. And then Google destroyed my website rank because they changed their algorithm. And all of a sudden I'm not getting any calls anymore. This was like two and a half years ago. I had no traffic. I had no one calling. I'm like, oh boy. So did I get a little worried? Yeah. But I never seriously doubted what I was doing. Mm. I just had a, so I started the YouTube channel uh. <laughs> and it worked. 16,000. So, yeah. So yeah, for the most part, I hadn't really done much with it before that, but I was like, well, I, and Sean Light said, well, you got no other choice, so just do more videos. Like, that's true. That's what I was going to do anyway, but thank you for, for you know, ideas for saying the same things. I was already had to, hmm. but uh, I, but I never seriously was like, oh, maybe I should do something different with my life. I never, I never, I never did. So that's my definition of success is when things go wrong, that you never seriously doubt the path that you've chosen. And describe life in one word. Life in one word. <laughs> Gosh. Um, life in one word. I mean, it's challenging. It just is. There's no way around that. I know this is more words, but there's no way. Life will always be challenging. There's no easy way. And there's no perfect way. So... Hmm. again like i said i think all religion and philosophy has the goal of letting you live without anxiety anxiety of death or anxiety of you know being somewhere else just being okay with where you are right now correct correct yeah so it's but you have to train your mind to do that and you have to keep staying with it you can't let your mind go off in different directions and start believing in fantasies that you see on instagram it's hard not to sometimes you just gotta yeah. keep keep reality in mind Otherwise, it's very easy to go in the wrong direction. 
So that's the end of the rapid fire round. And before I let you go, there are two final questions for you. So as an industry senior, what would you advise to someone like me? Hmm. Uh, well, I, I think you have a chance to change the way people think about physical preparation and weight training. Uh, but it's going to take more people like you and I who understand that there is a pattern True. and that a lot of what people are doing is counterproductive for them. Uh, you know, it's squatting and deadlifting. All that stuff is fine if you put it into perspective. And if you re- but if you realize also that that's not gym exercises are just gym exercises. They are not life. They are not how humans actually move. Keep that in mind. So what people are doing in the gym is likely from what I understand now and what I've seen and what I know in my heart is true. Most people are doing things with their body that are completely counterproductive hmm. and are hurting their health long-term. Yeah. Regardless of patterns will destroy you if you simply reinforce the pattern over and over and over again. And I, I, sometimes I see comments like, how could, how could getting in better shape be counterproductive? That's crazy because you're getting in better shape in a pattern Mm. that is putting, that is just making you more tight (laughs) and it's going to catch up with you. See, they don't understand patterns yet. So the more you can discuss patterns and get people to understand what a pattern truly is, then that's, that is, do you, I mean, what are you in this industry for? Do you truly want to help people? Yes. Now, if you don't know what a pattern is, then yeah. fine. You do your best. <laughs> but if you do now know what a pattern is, and it really, you do understand what a pattern is, you're going to see that the majority of what people are doing mm. is hurting. Yep. Maybe not now, but it's setting the seeds mm. for future pain and True. dysfunction. Yeah. I'm so Especially glad I found all this stuff so soon in my early in my career like you yeah. go to the gym and you never see people performing alternating reciprocating movements no all no. bilateral symmetrical stuff yeah which, which is, is of course a r- right dominant which is of course right dominant. Yeah, right because there's nothing that's truly symmetrical yeah yeah so yeah i i you know it's like we didn't have the knowledge before we weren't aware of it we were all naive but now the knowledge is out there and what yeah. are you going to do with it yeah what are you going to do with it it's up, it's up to you <laughs> Do you want to contribute to greater health or do you just want to destroy people? Cause that's what some people, some trainers are literally destroying their clients and it's not the client's job to know. Yeah. It's the trainer's job. True. Yeah. So don't let your intellectual laziness destroy other people, then leave, do something different with your life that you're not hurting people. And don't criticize things you don't understand. If you don't know the amount of, Oh my God, the amount of people on, on Instagram that credit that make fun of a 90 90 or a balloon and have not a clue what posture restoration is, is astounding because you can see it in what they write. They don't know what the freak, they don't no clue what posture restoration is. Hmm. And yet they're criticizing a 90 90 is like, Oh, it makes me sick. (laughs) So stop talking about things you know nothing about just because you took one course or two doesn't mean you know what PRI is. Trust me. Yes. Trust me. It's it makes the me, tertiary it, it, courses. It, Rua told me it's like the tertiary courses where you actually feel like, ah, now it makes sense. Now like, it makes sense. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, the ivory is such ignorant stuff about people who think they know what PRI is because they took one or two. Cor- if you think it's biomechanics, you have no clue what you're, you have no clue what PRI is. None. Is there a biomechanic component? Of course. But that's not the big part. It's sensing and feeling. Because that's how the body does things. It senses and feels. Sure. It's, yeah. That, that really gets me going. Yeah, I, I can understand. <laughs> so the second question is, what are your major life learnings till date and how do you intend to move on from here? Wait, what is my major? Life learnings till date and how do you intend to move on from here? Um, what, what I'm most interested in now is really how to get people aware of the role of the mind in the body. Um, so I'm doing a lot of reading about, I mean, I've already read a lot about psychology, but I'm just trying to make it understandable for people, uh, how the brain interacts to produce movement. And that movement is highly influenced by emotion and feeling and, and like fear and <laughs> like fear. So I, that's my, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to make that easier to understand. The science is already there. So for me, I'm trying to simplify things, difficult concepts. I'm trying to learn how to simplify them without changing them, but simplify them so that people can understand that this is not a biomechanical issue. Pain is not a biomechanical issue. Well, unless there's an injury, that's different. But I'm talking about pain that you can't figure out why you hurt. Yeah. This is a tension issue coming from the brain that's being exhibited in the body. And then it becomes a physical issue because you hurt. But the origin is not physical, usually. Yeah, I, I have seen this, like, uh, in my limited experience as a coach. I have seen people who are table test-wise limited, but are so happy in their lives. No pain. No pain. No pain. <laughs> and there are, there are people at- with greater ROM on the table, but yeah. they are going through stuff in their life which is, like, stressful, and they are in pain. That's right. And I think that's one of the things I always say, like you could take two people, the exact same testing and one person will be intense pain. The other person will be like, what you, why would I even be in pain? I don't get it. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's up here. It's in the brain. It's not the muscles. It's not the ranges of motion. The biomechanical tests are, don't get so obsessed with the biomechanical tests because they're not really biomechanics. It's, it's tension. So it's all, yeah, it's all. So like the Buddha said, everything starts with the mind. Yeah. It really does. Even PRI starts with the mind. Some people come to me like I have this pain, that pain. I say, okay, I am not someone who will diagnose and all those stuff. I'm not a physio, but I will address movement. But I also have to know how your other aspect of life is. Like you can work out one hour with me, like sessions and exercises. But what about the 23 hours? Like you are having some emotional trauma in your life. And I do not know. Like no 1990 or supine hook is going to counteract that. No, it might help to a degree because it might, it might lower their tension levels from a physical perspective. At that moment, again, they go yeah. back to the trauma. So you face your own demons of life, face it yeah. or get yeah. like face it or surmount it, whatever you have to, please do yeah. that. Only yeah. then adherence becomes, uh, I mean, easy, uh, like nutrition wise, sleep wise breathing wise training wise adherence is the key and it becomes easy when your personal life professional life are sorted like you are ah 
I have the happiness that I'm looking for. Now I can do everything. Like every happy man who is truly happy will never comment negative on social media. If you ask that person, like, let's do this, he will be like, yeah, let's do this because he has the positivity. Someone who yeah. is so stressful in their lives, they, they won't be able to adhere to all these things. They can't react in different ways. They're, they're, they're stuck. They're, yeah. they're, they're tight. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Their neck can be tight. I can guarantee you. Um, but you know, but the other thing, but the other important thing though, also is sometimes people are stressed out in their lives because they don't feel good physically. Mm. And so, but you know, but so on the other end, reducing tension in their body by repositioning techniques and getting their regaining muscular activity of that hamstring and a grounding effect. Now maybe they feel better in their body Mm. and they realize, Oh, these things in life that were so stressful, they're not so hard. Yeah. Yeah. So it still works. You know, it'll still, it still, it will still give you a benefit even if you have a chaotic life. Yeah. It may not work for everybody, but it'll, it'll still, they, you know, they need more left hamstring. Yeah. You know, it, you know, they need more. No one is going to go wrong with any of those things. So you're still making positive changes, even if they don't have their own life in order. Mm. That's important to realize. Well, it's not like an all or nothing type of thing, mm-hmm. but maybe they're mm-hmm. not feel better. And now they start to feel happier and all the things, because I remember in, like my football coach in high school, the one thing I ever learned through sports is that what this guy said, he said, your body doesn't hurt as much when you win. Ah, yes. So this is, if your mind is somewhere else, you're not going yeah. to notice this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> There's so many different factors. True. True. So, uh, and, and you can intervene in so many different ways. The moment they feel something different can change their entire life. Because hmm. now their body relaxes. They can breathe better. Oh, and things aren't so stressful in life because you gave them a hamstring hmm. and, and a left diaphragm for the hmm. first time in years. You never know which, which side has to be addressed the most. Huh. Yeah. True. But you know, the body has to be, even if they work things out in their life, they're still going to need the training. Yeah. So, you know, everything, everything together. Life, yeah. It's all together. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I see on social media, like uh, the kind of negative comment people put out, like I can never imagine writing those and posting those in public forums. No, no shame. <laughs> or just maybe that's how they get their ego fed for just a little bit. It gives them some sort of comfort. Yeah. And it, they're just going to suffer and they're going to be on that wheel of suffering. Yeah. They will go to <laughs> another page and they will comment again. They will go to another Completely, page. Yeah completely unaware of what they're doing to themselves and creating their own problems. Can't figure out why people don't like them. Neil, it was fantastic talking to you. It was an amazing call. Learned a lot. And I love interacting with you. I mean, the kind of knowledge that I gain, not only just uh, PRI or, but life, not only PR, but life experience, learning from someone who is senior and has greater life experiences, versatile, different aspects of life experiences. That is very enriching for me to learn. And that is why this podcast, this podcast I've created, there are so many technical guys, like there are PRI guys and there are other guys. I could have brought them and I could have discussed like a diaphragm and pelvis sacrum, but that is already available. Right. I, I can now learn about the personal life experience and what I can learn so that I don't do the mistakes that they have done in their lives. So that is also a way to learn. 
Yeah. And, and understanding why people do things the way they do. They usually have a good reason. Yes. Like it's when people like, it's like when people ask me to comment on other systems, even though I don't think PRI is a system, like, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I didn't talk to their founder. I don't know what their founder had in mind. Hmm. I, I see on social media what it looks like they're doing, hmm. but we know that what people are doing on social media with that system may not be what the founder intended. Hmm. So I don't know what the founder intended. If I talk to the founder and he tells me, which it's not going to happen, mm-hmm. then I would like, then I'll give an opinion. But until I know from that founder, what hmm. that system is all about, I have no comment. True, true, true. Because everything gets destroyed. Everything gets destroyed. I can't imagine what founders are, like what Ron has to go through, seeing mm. some of the stuff, how PRI has been changed and stolen and, ah. and, and not attributed and then completely changed. Like, like people really think that these are, weight, are for weightlifting? <laughs> they're, they're not. Like you said, it's not about the left hamstring. Like how much more direct does he have to be? It's not, it never was about the left hamstring, but people can't see it. So, I mean, I, I feel bad for like what he must go through. Uh, all his, all his intellectual life work is destroyed by people hmm. just taking it out of context. And, but the important thing is that there's enough people who do understand the context yeah, yeah, so. and are promoting it in that respect. So, you know, I, I'm sure he knows that also. Yeah, so. yeah. But man, what founders intend and what people hear about are usually two different things yep i mean people have their own interpretation and then they just because they couldn't work on something they think that that's useless but no it is not useless it must not work it has helped so many people so probably you should be diving deeper to know why it's not working can you imagine if i had been like in the beginning Oh, you know what? I can't feel my adductor or my hamstrings appropriately. This doesn't work. Can you imagine? I could have, because I didn't feel anything properly, but I mm. knew there was something that I wasn't aware of yet. I just didn't mm. know what it was. <laughs> it turned out to be everything up in my head in my eyes and my teeth, but I wasn't feeling things properly. I wasn't feeling the right muscles. I couldn't pass these tests. Not all of them. Some mm. of them I didn't in the pelvis, but what if I had been just like, oh, this stuff must not work. Can you imagine? None of this would have happened. None of my, my channel wouldn't have. But I didn't, I didn't say, oh, this doesn't work. Yeah. The good thing was I felt a difference and pretty quickly, even though I wasn't doing anything properly. <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, people are like, oh, this don't, must not work mm. because I don't feel the thing. I don't feel what they say I should be feeling. I can guarantee you that's because you have too much tension. Huh. Yeah. You don't feel it because you don't know what you're supposed to feel because you're too tight. You think you're so damn athletic and strong. Mm. You can't feel your hamstring. <laughs> and if I test you, I'll prove it to you. And if I test your neck, I guarantee it ain't moving. Is that really doing good for you? Do you want your neck not to move? That's general health. That's you're improving your life through weightlifting and intense exercise. And yet your, your neck is completely stuck. Read some physiology. Yeah, you're not doing your, you're, you are not helping your life. I can mm. tell you that. But I'm so strong. This PRI technique is so simple. It's not, it's not loaded, so I can't feel my hamstrings. <laughs> That's a problem. That means you can't feel your own body. Mm. That's a problem. They don't see it like that, but I know it's a problem. Yeah. Or I'm pretty sure it's a problem. I don't like to be so forceful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a problem. 
yeah. I mean, yeah, I see all this uh, stuff happening on the internet and it's so I've told this to Rua as well. Like, calm down. You calm down. Because I will never go on someone's post and comment something negative. Even if they're like doing something really horrific, I won't do that. I've told him like, you need to calm down. It's okay. Let, let them do what they're doing. You're going to get your clients. I'm going to get my clients. Let them do what they're doing. Like uh, yeah. bl- blind men leading blind men. So yeah. enjoy, enjoy life. <laughs> There's a lot of people in the world. There's enough, people. There's enough potential clients to go around. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm telling you, uh, all the gym, gym work and all the stuff, strength stuff, fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, you need it. But when in pain, you'll come to that PRI practitioner. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing wrong with gym exercises as long as you realize you got to keep it in perspective. But people don't know what they don't know. It's so new. They don't, they don't understand what we're talking about. I still, I still strength train, but I do it productively. I yep. do it in a way that's not going to tense me up 24 yep. seven. If you leave the gym, you should not be extended. Not completely because hmm. it's going to catch up to you in the long run, but they don't know they are. They don't know. They can't relax. They're just going to cause problems. And, you know, I feel very strongly about that. Yeah. I can't get angry about it because people just don't know what they don't know. It's the people that know better, yeah. but don't do anything about it. That's what bothers me. Yeah. And even in the gym, you see like crunches and sit-ups happening. Like you, you cannot have epical chest expansion. You're not having epical chest expansion. You know, now you're crunches and crunches and rectus, overactive rectus. And like you're now bending at the T7, T8 to get in some air. Like this is... Again, no one, most... nine more than 99.9% of people have no clue what you're talking about and they can't but it's the one it's the small amount that do understand this Mm. and still aren't taking it seriously for their own clients not i'm not talking about the clients themselves i'm talking about the trainers Mm. who acknowledge a pattern like yeah it's probably there and yeah i've seen it i can do some tests yeah Mm. but still insist on training their clients the same way when they they have they have like, uh, maybe this is not the best, but it's so easy to do it like this. Hmm. Let's just keep doing it like that. And you know, <laughs> that's what, that's, that's, that's where I get upset because of this what is, experiences I went through physically. I, I think this is the mediocrity of the industry that we, we as coaches, like those who are not educated enough, they do not have the idea of what, this loaded barbell back squat on a gen pop guy who is so crazy limited is going to do five years down the line. Like you are progressively loading that person. Someday something happens and then you say, oh, go to the physio. This is not my domain. Wow, your job is over, right? And like you set that person up for that problem. You know, it's like, oh, well, I didn't do it. Oh, well, no, you did do it. You did it if you didn't know. <laughs> if you're just ignorant because you're just you don't know about these things, which is most people. I I get it. Like you didn't do anything. You probably didn't in your mind, you weren't doing something harmful. Again, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that I see on Hmm. things (laughs) where they've taken PRI courses Hmm. and they completely disregard. Hmm. On one hand, they acknowledge the patterns Uh because they're talking language that did not exist before PRI came along. 
Yes. So I know they've taken something or they have some knowledge. And yet in the same breath, they'll disregard, they'll make fun of a 90-90 mm. or say it's not important mm. or it's not different than anything else. That's what drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. And that person, still, they still might be ignorant and not understand what's going on truly. But if they do actually understand and yet they're still doing what they're doing, then that is um, abdication of responsibility. Neil, that was a fantastic chat and we'll meet soon. It was a fantastic chat. Yeah, I learned a lot. Thanks, man. man. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as Neil and I did. Thank you for your time and feel free to reach out to both of us on Instagram. Our profile IDs are shared in the episode description. See you later and have a great day.